CFB Winning Edge 2021 FBS team profiles are now available to our Tier 2 Patreon supporters. We're still filling in some gaps and smoothing a few rough edges, but our generous subscribers can now view more than 11,000 individual player ratings, updated coaching ratings, and historical team performance and recruiting for all 130 FBS teams. We've also revamped our team streak power rankings and expanded our projections to include all three models into the schedule portion of our team profiles. Visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge to learn more and to become a new member. Join as an annual subscriber to receive an 18% discount or 12 months of access with two months free. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I am joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on the Twitter at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish, follow him on the Twitter at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. And uh, look, we are still burning through uh, these profiles. We are at 30 to 21. We're closing in. On the best teams here, we'll get some of the best teams next week when we get to Texas, of course, finally. But uh, for this one, yeah, I see Xavier's already making a face at me. Already making a face at me. I can't. I can't even throw in one positive comment for my guy, Xavier. Come on, leave me alone. Um, no. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. You're fine. You're fine. I, I, don't, yeah. I don't mind your. I don't mind your fanship this early on. It's not. It's not fall yet, so you're fine. Yeah, exactly. I, I got to get just just let me have this. All right. So uh, but we are going to start at 30 uh, and at number 30 is Coastal Carolina finishing 11 and one last season. 81st recruiting class in the nation. Third in the Sunbelt Conference. They do have 11 transfers out, three transfers in. They return a lot of talent. Uh, they, they have uh, Grayson McCall, wide receiver JV and Hiley, uh, tight end Isaiah Likely, left guard Willie Lampkin, edge rusher. Uh, Jeffrey Gunter were all um, they, they were all all conference last season. They do have a couple guys heading off to the NFL in running back CJ Maribel and defensive end Taron Jackson. So, Nick, what are we looking at for Coastal Carolina going into 2021? So, uh, I, I think it goes probably without saying that Coastal Carolina was one one of the teams of the 2020 season, if not the team of the 2020 season for just, you know, your average college football fan, just a great story came out of nowhere. And, and that I would say, you know, one of the biggest surprises, uh, one of the uh, things that I often wrestle with when we're going into a new season, there's a handful of teams that we don't always have a very long track record of information to work off of because the first ingredient, I've said this a, a ton of times now, but the first ingredient of, of everything we do is put all of the recruiting ratings for the entire roster into our FBS team profiles. And then we build out from there, adjusting for weight and, uh, or excuse me, you know, waiting by experience or uh, career production, things like that. And, and all of our, you know, coaching ratings, take into uh, take historical uh, team performance into account, things like that. And so a team like Coastal Carolina that has not been 
in FBS very long and has not recruited at you know anywhere near an average FBS level while they've been there. They've always been you know in the one twenties basically in in uh, recruiting ratings or, or you know at, at least in the triple digits. Our model without any sort of real track record of major success is going to fail to recognize that sort of team as a potential breakout team. So we had Coastal Carolina, you know, if not last in the Sun Belt, one of the, you know, eighth or ninth, something like that in the preseason. They were in the triple digits in our preseason power rankings for sure. And a lot of that had to do with coming into the uh, 2020 season. They averaged 118th in team performance rating over the previous three year uh, you know, in our weighted our three year weighted average, and they were 117th in the five years prior to that. So, uh, we we absolutely did not see this coming, and and I I certainly don't think we're alone. But Coastal Carolina and a team, you know, Liberty, who we talked about uh, last week, very similarly. I think we've learned some things from those two teams and their performance in 2020 that we really can apply to the, you know, other 128, 129 teams. So not only were they a fun team to watch, they, you know, have a unique style of play offensively. It's, it's really, a, a you know, some of the things that they do are very traditional triple option. It just looks, you know, different because it's in the shotgun. It looks a little more modern. They do, uh, you know, some interesting things, throw in a, a bunch of wrinkles, but, it's you know kind of fun to look at a team like Coastal Carolina, and everybody thinks, oh, it's the so you know fun modern offense, and in some ways it is. But then when you have the discussion, you know, a team that Coastal Carolina has played a couple of times the last few years, and will play again this year, Kansas, looking for a current head coach. There, you know, are talks. Should they run the triple option? And and people think, oh no, you can't do that at the Power Five level. Well, you know, Coastal Carolina has got a. a hotshot head coaching uh, candidate who, you know, signed a big extension after some other bigger programs were sniffing around. They basically run the triple option. It just looks a little different, but uh, they were able to, to capitalize on a new quarterback. Grayson McCall also kind of came out of nowhere, had played what 11 snaps in 2019. They had two guys coming back with starting experience and he goes out, beats them out. Coastal Carolina was one of the teams, one of, two teams, I believe, that had a full spring practice session uh, last year, the other being Air Force. So, you know, perhaps that helped them to, to potentially break out a little bit. I think it's hard to quantify that, but, you know, certainly didn't hurt. And they were able to, to sort of, you know, hand the team over to Grayson McCall. He comes out as just a, an absolutely incredible redshirt freshman year, 26 to three touchdown to interception ratio. Uh, we knew CJ Maribel was going to be uh, one of the better running backs in the Sun Belt, but I was a little slow to recognize that Javon Hiley and, and Isaiah Likely were two of the better receivers in the in the conference, uh, likely being a, you know, a, a weapon as a tight end, excuse me, as a, a receiver as a tight end. Uh, they got excellent offensive line play. Willie Lampkin uh, was a freshman All-American, according to The Athletic. And, and, you know, they had some real stars step up on defense as well. Uh, Jeffrey Gunter's coming back, C.J. Brewer coming back up front, uh, Silas Kelly, Kelly, Teddy Gallagher, the uh, you know in the linebacker core, and then to Jordan Strong, who was a, a junior college player 
was one of the most productive corners in college football. And, and basically they are bringing back, uh, looks like 10 starters, nine, 10 starters on defense. They will lose to Ron Jackson, who is going to probably uh, be drafted in, in the middle rounds. I would expect here in, in just a couple of weeks, super, super productive player, you know, leaves as a 100 rated player, according to our model, but coastal Carolina, uh, not only was able to just explode on the national scene last year, but they're really positioned pretty well, I think, to you know capitalize on that, carry that momentum forward. And and we've talked in in weeks past, can a team uh, who who has taken a step forward one year, you know, what's the difference if that team is going to be able to uh, gradually continue to build or, or you know maintain that high level, or is there going to be some sort of regression? And you know, I, I think maybe. Uh, it, it might be unrealistic to expect a double-digit winning season out of Coastal Carolina just based on the huge, huge jump that they had. But so much is coming back, and there's so much to like at important positions that, uh, you know, this is a, a Sun Belt Conference title contender. They are all the way up to, uh, you know, into the into the 30s, almost into the 20s, in our final pre, or excuse me, our final power rankings from 2020, and they didn't drop very far in our initial uh, 2021 rankings. They're 39th right now, which is second in the Sun Belt, and absolutely an area where uh, they're going to be competitive with with you know any team that they come across, and that's definitely you know New Year Six bowl challenging. Uh, area in our in our power ranking. So, uh, looking at, you know quickly at the schedule, the game against Buffalo in September is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, every non conference game is winnable, and then of course you know in, in the Sun Belt, they were able to go through undefeated last year, bring back so much again this year. That's certainly a possibility. They're going to have some difficult matchups. They have to go to Appalachian State. Uh, they're actually somewhat fortunate. Don't play Louisiana in the regular season, but you would expect if if you know they get there that they will uh, perhaps play them in, in the Sun Belt title game. But every every game on the schedule is winnable. Everything I think is on the table for Coastal Carolina. I wouldn't be at all shocked if if maybe a couple of lucky bounces that they got in in 2020 don't go their way in 2021. Maybe they have you know they were very fortunate with injuries last year. Maybe that's something that they'll have to navigate that they you know didn't have to deal with as much in 2020. But you know everything is on the table from a pretty good bowl game a. Sunbelt title and maybe even an undefeated season and, and, you know, a really special year to, to follow up uh, an incredible 2020. I think everything's on the table. Uh, Xavier, what do, what do you think? Do you think they can uh, keep that magic from 2020 or, uh, you know, we have to, as I think most people should expect them to take a little bit of a back step in 2021 because 2020 is just, it, that's a tough standard to live, to live by. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to disagree with Nick a little bit on this one. I, I think this is a team that takes a step back in 2021. Uh, when, when you look at, you know, Nick Nick hit, alluded to it at the beginning of what he was talking about with Coastal Carolina. This was one of the few, I think, one of only five or six teams that was able to have a full spring practice. And I don't think we really – oh, excuse me, one of two um, that were able to have a full spring practice this this past year. And I think we're, we we don't understand how much that was a, that, that helped him going into fall 
um, especially with how every conference seemed to kind of give the the smallest amount of time to ramp up for their respective conference seasons to get started. I think when you look at, at Coastal Carolina, them also having spring helped a ton. I think another thing that a lot of people don't remember about them last year is they had three bye weeks. To have three bye weeks in a season, first off, doesn't happen ever. And it just so happened that all of their bye weeks also happened the week before the biggest games of their season outside of the game at BYU. They have a bye week going into the game against Louisiana at Louisiana. They have a bye week going into the game against Appalachian State. Uh, when, when you have that extra week to prepare for easily the two toughest teams in your conference, that also is something that doesn't happen. It just doesn't. You don't, you don't, you don't get in a bye week in front of you know the, the two best teams in the conference outside of yourself as well. So I think those two things – on top of, I expect, you know, they, they in a way they were able to dodge a bullet against Louisiana. I don't think that they were going to win the Sunbelt Championship game last year. I think when they were able to beat Louisiana last year, I think they got away. They they, they escaped that game. Uh, they kind of snuck up on Louisiana uh, as they did, I think, a multitude of teams last year, especially in those first six weeks in, in the Sunbelt itself, um, that Louisiana was going to be much more prepared for them in the, in the Sunbelt game. And obviously we know what happened there. So I, I think that they take a step back this year. Uh, I'm really excited to see that game at Buffalo. I think that'll be a good telling point of where this team is as opposed to it was last year. And once again, this is a big question for me. You know, it's one thing to be the hunter. What is it like to be the hunted? And a lot of teams don't understand what that's like uh, until all of a sudden you're, 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 you're instead of coming into the year thinking, well, we might be able to perform at a different level. Now, all of a sudden we are the team that everybody is gunning for. Uh, so that's really big for me uh, going into this year for Coastal Carolina. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm more comfortable saying that this is a team that obviously I don't think they'll finish undefeated. I don't think they'll run the table in the Sun Belt this year. I think they lose maybe one, maybe two games this year. They do have a bye week before App State, so that'll help them in that regard. And they do, like Nick said, they do avoid Louisiana. I still think this is a team that finishes with one, maybe two losses after the Sun Belt Championship game. I think this is still a team that competes for the Sun Belt Championship. I think they bring enough talent back uh, to warrant that kind of expectation. Um, Scott, you hit the, uh, the the recruiting. The recruiting for them is getting exponentially better. And, and I know it's all it's early, and the 2022 classes haven't even gotten close to filling out yet. But to be ranked 39th nationally in the 2022 class already at this point is still very, very impressive. And already ranked number one in the Sun Belt in the 2022 class shows the kind of, uh, you know, the kind of buzz going around that campus and they're they are in a state that you know in kind of I won't say a hot spot per se but they can offer a lot of amenities they're right they're, they're right next to the beach they're in South Carolina this is a, a school that could be a sleeping giant in the Sun Belt for years to come if they're able to you know take what happened last year and move that momentum along uh, I you know and a nine win season isn't a bad thing for them I think that is perfectly reasonable for me to have them at and that's where I've got them in 2021. All right, so we are moving on to Wisconsin here. Wisconsin four and three last season, and we're starting to get into the big dogs as far as recruiting goes. We had a couple last week, and uh, Wisconsin ranked fifteenth uh, in, in the nation this year, third in the Big Ten. Six transfers out, one transfer in. They have no returning All Conference players, which uh, was a little surprising to me for Wisconsin. They do have some talent leaving to the NFL: offensive guard Cole Van Lannon, defensive end Isaiah Loudermilk, cornerback. 
Rashad Wild Goose all go to the NFL. They got a couple new coaches on defense. Ross uh, Kolodzej, I think is how you say his name. Uh, he is a new DL coach. He was their strength coach last year. And Hank Poteet uh, is the new CB coach. Uh, he was the Toledo cornerbacks uh, coach last year. I think he also played for the Steelers. Poteet did for a little bit. So, uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on Wisconsin going into 2021? So, uh, Wisconsin, it's a, it's, uh, you know, every, every team's interesting. I always kind of rely on that word, I guess. It's the first thing that comes to mind. But uh, last year, they came out so hot with just a, a completely dominant uh, performance against Illinois in that first game. Graham Mertz in his first start looked like, uh, you know, he might have a Heisman future. I mean, just, uh, what it completed 21 passes to start that game and, and only had one incompletion the, the whole night and, and just looked absolutely incredible. And then, you know, they were the first big 10 team to, uh, deal with a, a COVID stoppage during the, the regular season. And, and uh, they didn't play the next couple of weeks. And even then, you know, when they were starting to come back, uh, it seemed like they weren't, it took a little while for them to, to get back to uh, full strength. I mean, they, they did beat Michigan pretty handily in that, uh, that first game back, but then they lost three in a row. The offense kind of cratered toward the end of the year and, and things just didn't quite ever look as good as they did in, in that first game. And, and part of that maybe is, you know, it's against Illinois and, and, uh, they were, uh, playing some, you know, playing pretty bad defense as well. I mean, that's certainly part of what Mertz, uh, why he was able to have some success. But, you know, with the sort of interruption early in the regular season, and then they just seemed like a different team at different points, I have to put Wisconsin in the bucket of, of not really sure how much I can take from their 2020 results. I'm not sure how how often we saw the best of Wisconsin. I think we might have seen them at, at you know that game one, and then they put up a, a really strong performance against Wake Forest in the bowl game as well. But sort of in between, you know, I, I never really felt like uh, Wisconsin was was necessarily playing at, at full strength. So part of me is is cautious about that. Uh, they were able to put up a, a top 10 ranking in our defensive team performance numbers. They finished first in the country in expected points added per play defensively, according to cfbgraphs.com. Uh, they ranked third in success rate allowed. They ranked sixth in points per drive allowed. That's uh, according to Brian Fremo. So defensively, a lot of numbers looked really, really good, both in traditional numbers and, and uh, more advanced stats. The offense, I mentioned it, it cratered sort of in the, the middle to late uh, part of the season. They ranked 108th in yards per play, 101st in uh, yards per pass attempt, 100th in EPA per play, you know, 76 success rate, 88 points per drive. So, you know, that's not necessarily encouraging. They had some injuries at the receiver position that was was part of the uh, the issue, but you know, the offensive line was not quite what we are used to seeing at Wisconsin. They ranked 73rd in our offensive line performance rankings last season. So, you know, it's it's really kind of difficult to know which aspects can we take and, and apply to 2021, which should we try to ignore a little bit. I do think 
the recruiting is important. You mentioned the 15th uh, you know, ranked class last year. That's the third straight top 25 class, according to our recruiting strength numbers. And, and for Wisconsin, that's something they hadn't really done traditionally. And, and you know, really prior to that, uh, according to our numbers, the best class that they had, uh, you know, before 2015 or, or since 2015 uh, was 32nd in, in 2017. So things are trending in the right direction as far as talent goes. Mertz, I think, uh, you know, has the potential to uh, take a step forward after a, a season as a starter. We've seen sort of the, the best he can be. Now we need to see a little bit more consistently what he can be. I have to think the offensive line will improve. I think the running game will improve. Not necessarily sure, you know, who's going to get a ton of carries. Is it going to be Jalen Berger? Is it somebody that we haven't really seen very much in the past? But I do think that they're going to play good defense, even though there are, you know, a lot of new faces they're going to have to rely on on the defensive line. The defensive line had a lot of injuries last year as well. But, you know, uh, Jim Leonard ranks, uh, what, number eight? No, number six in our uh, defensive coordinator rankings had some interest from the Green Bay Packers over the uh, course of the offseason. So I think that they are in good hands defensively. I think talent's moving in the right direction. You know, I, I think there's a lot to like about Wisconsin. Iowa is actually one spot ahead of them in our preseason power rankings, uh, which we officially released. We tweeted it out the other day, and, and of course our patrons can see all 130 on our uh, FBS team profiles. But uh, Wisconsin's 21st, Iowa's 20th, but Wisconsin gets, you know, hosts that game in Madison. And, and the way the schedule sets up for the Badgers looks really, really good. So even though, you know, we could we could say Iowa is our preseason favorite uh, because they're the, the highest ranked team in the Big Ten West because they're so close and because that game's in in uh, Madison and, and we give, you know, home field advantage points, Wisconsin's actually favored by almost a field goal. So, um, you know, we have Wisconsin favored in double digit games. Really the only, the only one that there are going to be a clear underdog, I think is against Notre Dame. And even that is practically a toss up neutral site game. Notre Dame's losing a lot of production. So uh, it's, it's possible that this could be a, a, Big Ten title contending team. I mean, uh, we've we've they flirted with that a lot in the past, and and I think the potential is absolutely still there. If they're able to win a few close games, uh, you know, an undefeated regular season is not out of the you know uh, stretch of, of the imagination. Uh, could they upset an Ohio State in the Big Ten uh, championship game? Possibly, maybe not likely, but you know, it, it, we're getting into that that part of the rankings where really that high end of the spectrum is possible. It wouldn't take that much of an improvement for Wisconsin to go from, you know, good big 10 team contending big 10 West title contender type, you know, program to maybe a, a conference champion potentially. And, and if you win the big 10, uh, if you beat Ohio state or, or whoever it's going to be probably Ohio state in the big 10 uh, championship game, you know, the playoff is a possibility. So uh, I, I feel like maybe I'm getting a little too optimistic early in the show here, but Wisconsin, you know, looking at 2021, it, it sets up pretty well. And, you know, they they don't have a huge talent edge 
across the board. So they they are likely to play you know close games against Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, Northwestern. You know Michigan hasn't played them great the last few times, but that's going to be a dangerous game. They start the season with Penn State. You know that's a, a tough way to start. So I, I certainly cannot guarantee double digit wins. I certainly cannot guarantee a a run to the playoff, but. I think if if things hit just right, that that high high end of the spectrum is at least possible for for Wisconsin in twenty twenty one. Xavier, what do you think for Wisconsin in twenty twenty one? Like Nick mentioned, uh, you know this is the area where no one would be surprised if this team uh, was very very good. Do you think they have that potential this year? Do you see them taking a step back, moving a little bit forward? What do you think of Wisconsin? See, Wisconsin is a weird one for me because when I look at this Wisconsin team, I see a team that I think is in the middle of an identity change. And I I think that last year we saw them, for the first time I think in my lifetime, really lean on the quarterback. And I think that that, it, it was a little bit of an identity change from the Wisconsin of old that, you know, had the amazing running backs that we all know of break was seemingly looked like every NCAA record every other year with Monty Ball and Melvin Gordon and company, you know, and, and those guys getting 30 to 35 touches a game. Jonathan Taylor, obviously another one. And I think last year that was the biggest concern for me was that I felt like Graham Mertz maybe had too much control of the offense uh, being so young. Uh, maybe that was to, to, to Nick's credit. Maybe that was due to the fact that their offensive line was not nearly as good. So they could not, you know, feasibly run the ball down people's throat like they did in the past. Uh, and this year it's really on Graham Mertz to decide where this team goes or not. Uh, his, his ability in the pocket is going to be what determines whether this team is atop the big 10 or, or is right in the middle. I don't think they'll have nearly as bad of a season as they did last year. I don't think they'll, you know, that the, they'll be as poor against some of the more middling teams last year. Uh, I think even in the games that they won, they, they it was close. You know, they beat that they beat Minnesota in overtime. They barely, you know, they were able to uh, outlast Wake Forest at the end of their bowl game as well. And I think those kind of games, I think we'll see them dominate more often. Uh, but but I'm not so sure if they're a, a team that can compete for the Big Ten just yet. Uh, when you look at their schedule. It's really weird because of the fact that the Big Ten was so poor in some respects last year from some of their bigger teams. Games like uh, their game against Michigan and their game against Penn State to start the year, they were those two teams were so bad last year that we don't really know what they're going to be in 2021 because of how poor they were. I'm not so sure I can just be like, well, Michigan's going to be bad again. Not really ready to say that. Or at Penn State's going to be one of the bottom teams in the in the Big Ten again. I'm not ready to say that. Uh, I think this is an eight-win ball club. I can say that confidently. Uh, I think the games against Penn State, Michigan, uh, Notre Dame, I think those games are a little too toss-up like for me, for me to immediately say that this team uh, is going to win those. I know that they're favored in them, but I'm more comfortable saying that they'll win the games they're supposed to and those games that get some of the bigger rivals in the conference, they'll either lose that they'll lose. Um, I'm really excited to see what Grant Merch does in year two, uh, but he doesn't have enough film for me for me to suggest that he's going to take a sudden leap uh, into you know confidence stardom in the Big Ten, where he, you know we're talking about him as uh, coming out in 2022 as one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So he has to take a big step for me, and I think his maturation is what's really where we're really going to see this Wisconsin team either succeed or fail. Um, in the recruiting trail, you guys hit it right in the head. Wisconsin's doing amazing, and I don't. 
that bodes well for them going forward. Absolutely. Uh, once again, though, I think it's due to an identity change. I think when you when you look at Wisconsin back in the day, and not even that long ago, three, four years ago, this was a team that focused on nurturing talent, making sure by year three and year four, they were going to be bona fide draft, you know, draftable players, and that they weren't necessarily worried about getting those bona fide four or five star great freshmen coming in year one. That's changing. Uh, and that's changing quickly for them. And I think it's really exciting to see a team like Wisconsin kind of, you know, get into the modern era of football a little bit, expand the offense a little bit and and have a more willingness to throw it around the yard. I think kids see that as well. And you mix that with the with Wisconsin's consistency in winning at least, you know, <clears throat> nine wins a, a year uh, kind of team. That's very exciting for Wisconsin going forward. Once again, I think this is an eight to nine win team next year. I just am not ready to say that they're bona fide better than Penn State, Michigan, or, or a, a, even a Notre Dame or a Northwestern at this point. My next squad up here is Louisiana, 10 and one last season. Nick, 67th ranked recruiting class, first in the Sun Belt Conference. Uh, six transfers out and uh, eight transfers in, including a former four star Maryland quarterback, Lance Legrand. Uh, they do have a lot of returning talent on this squad. Quarterback Levi Lewis, running back Chris Smith, right guard Osiris Torrance, right tackle Max Mitchell, defensive end Zion Hill, safety Braylon Trahan, and of course a punter in here. We know that's important, Nick. Uh, Reese Burns is also uh, all-conference returning. They did lose two big running backs to the NFL in Elijah Mitchell and Trey Regis. A uh, couple coaching changes. They got Wes Neighbors as their new safety coach. He was the South Florida safety coach last year. Galen Scott is now the inside linebackers coach. He coached linebackers in North Texas. And Jeff Norad is a new offensive line coach. He was at FAU last season. So uh, your thoughts on Louisiana going into 2021, Nick? Yeah, well, first I want to say hello to uh, head coach Billy Napier, who's a uh, follows CFB Winning Edge on Twitter. I have to assume he's a listener as well. So, uh, coach, uh, you know, hope hope uh, all is well. You know, Louisiana had a, a an excellent season, of course, last year. I mean, jumped uh, out of the gate with one of the bigger upsets, I think, of. Mm -hmm. of you know, yeah. that opening week, knocking off a an Iowa State team that had really, really high expectations coming into the season and did it convincingly and, and you know, did it with special teams, played great defense that day, uh, didn't get a, a whole lot of, out of its offense necessarily, but, um, you know, uh, they, they were able to really control that game and, and it really was – the perfect start to what ended up being the best season in, in school history. And, you know, they, they were able to tiptoe around and, and get quite a few close wins. And in, in, you know, some cases it's difficult to uh, really tell if, if there's a little bit of luck involved in that, or if it is, uh, you know, coaching that's, that's getting the job done with, uh, you know, those, those close victories, but, uh, overall it, it ended up being a, a really, really impressive season. And I know that they are losing, you know, two of the better playmakers in, in the Sunbelt conference, but so much is coming back that I don't think Louisiana is going to have much of a drop off offensively. I, you know, Chris Smith, we've seen what he can do already an all conference, uh, kick returner. He's, done some, you know, had had some moments as a running back as well. Seems like he's going to really take on a bigger role. They landed uh, Jacob Cabote from 
Texas A&M as a transfer. So, you know, from a just a pure talent standpoint, have to think that he's going to be able to, to come in and contribute. And, and then, you know, they, they also do have Imani Bailey, who is one of their uh, higher rated recruits in the 2020 class and, and brought in somebody who, uh, according to 247 Sports, was an even more talented player in, in Terrence Williams, a true freshman. So, you know, we'll have to check out how he fits in. And, and I, I, I have a feeling that they're going to be just fine, you know, with uh, players carrying the ball at, at, you know, out of the backfield. And one of the the reasons I think they will probably is, you know, Levi Lewis, maybe he'll take a little bit of a heavier workload as a runner, because I, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is, if, if anybody else has said this or not, it just sort of struck me that Levi Lewis has a skill set. I think he could be an NFL running back. You know, I, I don't necessarily see him as a, a quarterback at, at the next level. Uh, but I think that the way that he runs really just just seems to me to be able to translate to the next level. He's, he's a little bit bigger looking on uh, the field than he's listed and runs tough and, and is quick, you know, just sort of hits the hole and, and really, really have been impressed with him as a runner and, and would like to see him, you know, I know you have to, to keep him healthy, but uh, would like to see him, you know, maybe run it a little bit more, take on a, a little heavier workload there. So I, I, you know, I think that will one, they will open the the offense up a little bit more anyway, but his running ability, I think will also open some opportunities in the passing game and, and receiver is an area where I think uh, was, was lacking at times in, in, you know, 2020, just from a talent standpoint, the way our numbers shake out, uh, Louisiana had one of the lowest ranked receiving cores in the country last season, but you know, they've, they've taken a step forward. They brought in a couple of transfers. They're getting Jamal Bell back from injury. Uh, John Stevens from TCU is a, a former, uh, you know, uh, four star ish type player. So have to think that he will come in and, and you know play a little bit as well. Hopefully they'll be a little healthier. But the offensive line ranks seventh in the country in offensive line uh, straight or excuse me performance ranking last year. And and you know four of those starters are back. They brought in a, a basically a four year starter uh, to to fill in the one hole that they lost when Zach Robertson ended up leaving uh, for the NFL draft or, or you know, to uh, pursue his professional career. So uh, they are, I think, going to be just fine on offense. And then, you know, you mentioned the, the all-conference players returning on defense. They've got a lot of experience. I think some of their better players didn't actually get all-conference recognition. Chancey Manick, uh, Farad Gardner, and Lorenzo McCaskill might be the best linebacker trio in the Sun Belt. They rank second right now in our uh, Sun Belt rankings at, at that position. But you know, I think that there's an argument to be made that that they're uh, the best group there. So you know, they're they're a they're going to be a problem. They're going to be a Sun Belt Conference you know contending team. They right now you know they. Oddly enough, neither Coastal Carolina or Louisiana finishes our highest-ranked Sun Belt team. That that probably surprises people, might might disappoint some people. But we'll talk about still another Sun Belt team uh, later in the show. But they're they're not going to be our highest-rated Sun Belt team entering 2021, which is a little bit of a surprise to me. I think they probably, if I were to pick my own you know, power rankings with just my opinion, I I would be tempted, I think, to put Louisiana first. But 
they're definitely going to be in the mix. And, and I think they're the clear favorite in the West. They do play Appalachian State in the preseason. They will, or in the regular season, they will not play Coastal Carolina. So, you know, maybe they uh, lose a game in, uh, you know, in conference play. They play two pretty tough, three pretty tough non-conference opponents in, in Texas, Ohio, and then late in the season, Liberty. So they will, they will be battle-tested, but I think this is a team – that will contend for the conference title has a shot at 10 wins and, you know, with a, with a uh, break here or there, a, a few other close victories. Uh, this is a team that could play its way to the, you know, new Year's six a, a, as a possibility. If they are a one loss team at the end of the year with a couple of wins over, you know, teams that spent some time in the uh, top 25, I think that's, that's absolutely possible. Uh, they, you know, they're going to have some tough matchups along the way, but but certainly I think could get there. I'm I'm really excited to see Louisiana in in 2021. Xavier, do you think uh, Louisiana are are you as uh, enthusiastic about them potentially being just as good as they were last year as Nick is? I don't think so. Um, this is a team that, in my opinion, is a very upset prone team, and what I mean by that is is. They, their their offensive play style lends them to being if they get down early, it's very it, at least last year it was it was rather tough for them to come back. It was a grind for them to do so. And last year they had easily the two best running backs in the Sun Belt, maybe the two best running backs or top five running backs in all of uh, G five last year, and, and Trey Regis and Elijah Mitchell. And when I and when I look at those two guys leaving, and and, and with the style of play that they. Uh, that they are. I see a lot more responsibility on Levi Lewis in the running game, and I don't know how that's going to work for 12 games. I'll be honest with you. Uh, you know, you don't want your quarterback taking that many hits that many times uh, a game, and he and he was blessed to have two guys in the backfield that could take the brunt of that for him, and then you also had Levi Lewis that you had to account for on defense. That was what made Louisiana so scary on offense was that it was a, not a two-headed monster but a three-headed monster because you always had somebody that could break the game open in that backfield, especially throughout the run game. When going into this year, though, losing those two guys, I think it's going to be a bit of a time before they figure out whether or not – the new running back is going to be that able to do that. You know, Chris Smith, for all of the plotters that he does get, this will be the first year he's getting the bulk of the carries. So we'll have to see how he holds up and how, he, you know, how much of a home run hitter is he in comparison to the guys that he's going to be replacing, which is going to be tough. Uh, also, their non-conference schedule is not easy, you know, outside of Nickel State, which is not an easy game by any means. Nickel State plays everybody hard that they play uh, when they do play P5. Uh, playing at Texas and against Ohio was going to be a tough matchup, but obviously Nick hit it on the head with Liberty later on in the year. I'm concerned that they're a team that could get, get upset by some of your your more middling teams in the, in the Sun Belt this year. I'm thinking at Georgia Southern. I'm thinking possibly Georgia State when they come to uh, Lafayette later on this year. They're a team that's going to be very uh, – you know, last year they were a team that – won by the skin of their teeth more times than not. They beat Georgia Southern by two. They they, they beat UAB by four. They beat Arkansas State by seven. So it, it's a team that doesn't wow you with the scoreline. And, and it makes it very easy for a team that if they're not coming to play, if some of the guys aren't ready to go week in and week out, they, they could get upset because of the style in which they do play offensively. So for me, I think they're right there on the cusp of, of I think they're a team that could run the table, but I'm more 
comfortable saying that they're a nine win ball club, possibly an eight and 14. Uh, and that's where I'm comfortable sitting at right now. Cause I think last year they got away with a little bit of this, with a little bit of the, you know, not showing up for games. They got away with it last year. I don't think they'll get away with it this year. Cause I think those teams in the middle of the conference, the Georgia Southerns, the Georgia States, even the Troys that we've talked about in previous episodes got better. Uh, so I like to, I think they're more of an eight win, nine win ball club. I think double digits a little too, you know, too spicy of a take for me to say right now, uh, Will they show? Will they probably be the team that shows for their side of the conference in the Sun Belt? Yes, but I don't think that they'll run the table. All right, let's go to Ole Miss, five and five last season. Nick, seventeenth ranked recruiting class, which is only good enough for six in the SEC, which is just insane. You know, we talk about how uh, some of the other schools are doing better. Louisiana sixty seventh, and that's first in the Sun Belt, and sixteenth overall is six in the SEC. Uh, eight transfers out, two transfers in. Another team with no returning all-conference players, which uh, is a little surprising for any SEC team. Uh, a lot of talent going in the NFL, including wide receiver Elijah Moore, tight end Kenny Yaboa, and offensive guard Royce Newman. Um, they do have a couple new coaches. Uh, Coleman Hutzler, who was Texas's uh, co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, is their new special teams coach. John David Baker, who was the USC tight ends coach, is now uh, the Ole Miss tight ends coach and passing game coordinator. And Randall Joyner, who is an SMU D-line coach, is coaching D-line for them now. So uh, what do you think about Ole Miss going into 2021, Nick? I th I think Ole Miss might be one of the teams I'm most excited to watch in 2021. I, I think that you know we we saw a much improved offense, very explosive offense in Lane Kiffin's first season. Uh, Matt Corral, you know, I, I wasn't sold that he was the best quarterback option for them uh, entering the the 2021 season. I really like you know John Reese Pumley's. Uh, John Rice Pumley's running ability. I think he's one of the fastest players at any position in, in college football, maybe. I mean, the guy just uh, was was absolutely dynamic with the ball in his hands in 2019 as a true freshman. But, you know, he wasn't the perfect fit for Lane Kiffin, and Matt Corral is, is a lot closer to that. And, and you know, aside uh, other than a uh, six-interception game against Arkansas, uh, 14 interceptions overall, you know, Corral did a lot of really good things. And I think that, you know, uh, losing Elijah Moore is, is absolutely huge. I mean, the guy was, uh, had, had so much production and such a huge, huge percentage of receiving production the last two years at Ole Miss, you know, not sure who's going to step up if it's going to be somebody already on the roster, like, Dontario Drummond, Jonathan Mingo, Braylon Sanders. They do have a transfer from Western Kentucky, Jacor Pearson, who you know has as a uh, similar build to uh, Elijah Moore. Maybe uh, could be used in in similar ways. But you know, are they going to spread the ball around more in the passing game, or is somebody going to step up and and take on that you know go to receiver role? Is a big question. But everything else, at least offensively, not a problem. And really, the receiver question, you know, is important. But I, I don't necessarily see it being the thing that holds Ole Miss back. They've got enough options that something, you know, somebody's going to be able to to step up. They're going to be able to put up. 
points on just about anybody. And and that includes Alabama. And, and you know, I've seen some uh, discussions uh, online about, you know, what team matches up best with Alabama on, on a, you know, a given day. And it might be Ole Miss because, you know, just last year, they put up 48 on uh, what was the best defense in the SEC. And, you know, if, if uh, you can uh, improve a little bit on defense themselves, cause a couple of turnovers, you know, we, we've seen Ole Miss pull off an upset like that years ago. It, it certainly could happen again. The defensive side of the football is, is what I'm most concerned about. And, you know, we, we point to four different important stats uh, each week, and they're all bad, bad, bad for Ole Miss. They ranked 115th in the country in yards per play against, 115th in points per drive allowed, 116th in EPA per play defensively, and 120, or excuse me, and, and uh, 100th in yards per pass attempt allowed, excuse me, and, and 121st in success rate allowed. So, you know, triple digits across the board. I think that those will improve because you know, second year with a coaching staff. Uh, they've got plenty of talent. They've got top 25 talent uh, on the defensive side of the ball, according to our numbers. They rank 22nd in roster strength defensively coming into the 2021 season. Uh, but also they don't have to play 10 SEC games. That's going to help a little bit as well. They're not the easiest non-conference matchups. Louisville has been explosive offensively in the past. Tulane gives people a lot of problems. And, and Liberty, somebody we've talked about multiple times already, uh, is definitely a, a difficult opponent. But, you know, the, the level of competition is going to da- go down just a little bit. So I think they will improve defensively. And if, if you know, if they are able to basically cut those numbers in half, get into the 60s, the, the you know 50s maybe in, in a couple of those defensive categories. This is a top 25 ball team, or, you know, ball club, I think. Uh, they are 27th in our preseason power rankings. That is just seventh in the SEC. And we do have them, you know, as a projected underdog early against Alabama, against Auburn, against Texas A&M, with a couple of other toss-ups, LSU, Tennessee is is uh, you know going to be a little bit of a tricky matchup on the road, but if that defense does take a big step forward, which is not impossible, Ole Miss I think has an outside shot to be you know second or third in the SEC West. I think they're uh, still not quite ready to to challenge Alabama for that top spot in the division. I just I, you know they could. Uh, jump up and bite them and upset them potentially on the field on on you know that one game day, but it's going to be difficult I think for Ole Miss and unless they take a big big step forward defensively to you know consistently beat teams like Auburn, Texas A and M week after week to to really climb up the ladder. But I think we're going to see a lot of really, really exciting Ole Miss games. I think they are going to upset somebody that they're not supposed to. They might lose to a team or two that they're not supposed to. But, you know, I I mentioned on previous shows, Matt Corral is someone I'm invested in in Heisman futures. I think if this is a, you know, top 20 type team, takes a run at, at eight, nine wins, but puts up just incredible offensive numbers, maybe somewhat similar to, uh, you know, 
Robert Griffin III, what he did at, at Baylor a few years ago, you know, he could make a run at, at a, a Heisman Trophy if maybe there's not a, a dominant performer on a national championship type team. So I'm I'm really, really excited to see Ole Miss. I do have more questions about them, I think, than, than some other teams, but I, I think the potential is there, and I think the excitement level absolutely is, is there. Xavier, what do you think for Ole Miss this year? Do you Are you excited as Nick is uh, for Ole Miss this year? Ole Miss is going to finish second in the SEC West this year. That's how excited I am. That is how excited I am about Ole Miss this year. Now, granted, I think that also is due to the fact that I think a lot of teams in the SEC West take a step back this year. I think Texas A&M without Kellen Mond takes a step back. I think LSU does not you know, does not take the jump forward. I think many people are thinking that they will. Um, and, and I think Auburn is just going to be a rather okay ball club uh, in 2021. And so I think it leaves for a team like an Ole Miss to have the opportunity to make that kind of a jump uh, with how good their offense is going to be this year. Nick hit it right on the head. This is a team that went out there and gave uh, up until the Florida game, Alabama the best punch of the season. Uh, offensively, uh, putting up 48 points against them. Uh, the, the biggest issue was that they played down a lot last year. A lot they played down last year. You know, they played down to Arkansas. They played down to Auburn last year. They played down to LSU in the final game of the year. And, they, and on top of that, you know, they just couldn't really stop anybody. And in some games, Matt Corral and company just didn't have, you know, enough in the tank to push them over the line. Luckily for them, they do avoid Florida this year, so they don't have to play any of the top two teams in the SEC East. They get Tennessee. Uh, so that should be a, a, a win for them there. And I just really, really like what Ole Miss has going on right now. I think they're one of the only teams in the SEC West that I genuinely think will be better than they were last year. Uh, you know, or it was, excuse me, exponentially better than they were last year. I think some teams will be incrementally better. I think LSU will be kind of better. I think uh, I think Auburn will be a little bit better than last year. But I think Ole Miss makes that jump, uh, finishes eight and four, nine and three. And I think that's the second best team in the West this year. Uh, when, you, when you look at their scheduling, they get an off week before Alabama this year, which I think is going to be huge in preparation for them. Much needed. Nick, you hit it right on the head. The off, their non-conference scheduling isn't – it's not completely a cupcake, but it isn't as tough as it has been in the past. Uh, you know, they, they they get all of the other big SEC West games at home. You get LSU at home. You get Texas a at home. Uh, those are That's massive for them as well. And, and I think they can build up a certain amount of momentum that un, uh, unless they do slip up in something which, which would – wouldn't surprise us if they slip up against like Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl at the end of the year. Then this is a team that I think you know is going to be playing for one of those you know New Year's Six spots when you know an SEC you know when Alabama obviously makes the you know uh, the, the the college football playoff that you're, they're competing for one of those uh, one of those New Year's Six bowl games uh, with a nine and three record uh, because I think that's where they're going to be at this year. I think Ole Miss is uh, is trending upward and they are doing it at the right time. I think where a lot of teams in the SEC West are, are, are kind of stagnant at the moment or, or are trying to find their footing again, I think Ole Miss is trending upwards. I think this is a team that will be around the, the, the third or fourth best team in the SEC West for at least the next couple of years. Um, and so I, I'm really excited about Ole Miss this year. I am, I am hugely excited about that. All right, well, let's move over to UCF. Lots of uh, new changes here. There's six and four last year, 55th ranked recruiting class, fourth in the AAC. But the big thing here is obviously Gus Malzahn uh, taking over from Auburn and bringing in a whole brand new staff to UCF. They have 13 transfers out. Not surprising when you get a new head coach, 
Uh, five transfers in, including uh, former four-star recruits in Auburn running back Mark Anthony Richards, uh, Colorado State wide receiver Nate Craig Myers, Big Cat Bryant from um, Auburn and, and OU, depending on where you want to look at, at him, agreeing to go to OU and then transferring out immediately again. Uh, then um, they are re- turning a bunch of all AAC players to quarterback uh, Dylan Gabriel, wide receiver Jalen Robinson, left guard Cole Schneider, and center Matt Lee were all uh, all AAC last season. And then they do have a lot of talent going in the NFL too. They're losing cornerback uh, Aaron Robinson, safety Richie Grant, wide receiver Trey Nixon, wide receiver Marlon Williams, and cornerback Tay Gowan all going to the NFL. So uh, lots to go over here with UCF, Nick. What do you see for 2021? I think UCF is is going to be very very difficult to project. Our you know we've talked about it several times. Our numbers absolutely loved UCF this time last year going into the season. Thought that they uh, you know I think when we actually made our official predict uh, you know predictions for who's going to go to the playoff, and at that point the Pac-12 and and uh, uh, who was the <laughs> And, uh, you know, they, they said that they weren't going to uh, be playing. You know, I, I said UCF, I thought, could could make it to the, the college football playoff. And uh, they obviously not only didn't get there, didn't win the AC, you know, AAC, uh, lost four games total, major, major disappointment as far as our numbers go. And, and I think pretty disappointing you know, just to, to casual fans and, and certainly to UCF fans based on a lot of the things that I've heard, there there were not very many tears shed when uh, Josh Heupel decided to leave and, and go to Tennessee, from, from what I can tell from the UCF fan base. You know, he, he ranks pretty highly in our head coaching ratings. Part of that is just circumstance, took over, you know, a, a program that was at at a very high high, as, as high as you basically can get at a group of five uh, conference team. You know, he's, he's 20th in our head coach ratings or, or was at the end of last season. But according to those same numbers, UCF actually made an upgrade at head coach. And, and a lot of people, you know, when when it you know, the news came that Gus Malzahn was going to be taking this job kind of felt that way. And and I felt that Hypel was uh, maybe even a bit overrated in, in those head coach ratings. Those are based uh, on our, you know, historical team performance numbers. So with somebody who only had two years as a head coach and, and put up a great record, great overall, you know, team performance ratings uh, themselves, you can't really help but but be a top 20 uh rated coach the way we do things but you know Gus Malzahn despite some similar uh disappointing spots here and there I think is a little bit more of a proven commodity and and certainly one thing that we're seeing early on is recruiting and uh Josh Heupel didn't recruit particularly well and the numbers are all very similar uh, you know our, our recruiting strength numbers uh, are basically between 55 and 67 for the uh, really the the you know prior six years but hypo in in such a talent rich area with so much to offer uh, could have done so much more on the recruiting trail 
And one of the really weird things is, is they haven't recruited the state of Florida particularly well. And, and that's something that uh, Gus Malzahn is immediately coming in and, and trying to do. Yeah, he's gone to the transfer portal, was able to get, uh, you know, his former all SEC caliber defensive lineman, Big Cat Bryant, committed to Tennessee, as you said, looked like he was going to Oklahoma for a little bit, but ends up in Orlando and, and immediately, you know, he's he's basically a 100 rated player, 99 point. Uh, or excuse me, 98.91, according to our individual player ratings, that puts him right in the mix as the best defensive lineman, one of the best defensive linemen in the conference immediately. I mean, he was one of the better defensive linemen in the SEC. So that was a huge get. Uh, He was able to uh, land not only Mark Anthony Richards, but uh, Isaiah Bowser from Northwestern, also, it announced a commitment to Miami of Ohio, but uh, a little while later changed his mind. He's going to Orlando. That's going to be big because they're losing a lot of, you know, some productive, exciting players on the offensive side of the ball. Greg McRae, Otis Anderson are gone at, at wide receiver. Uh, Marlon Williams was incredibly, incredibly productive. Jacob Harris is is uh, somebody who we didn't get to see at really his full ability as a college football player, but somebody who's going to have a pro career, probably going to get drafted here shortly and, and, you know, athletically off the charts. So, you know, and Trey Nixon was hurt a lot last year, but uh, had, had really some great moments at times at, at UCF. Malzahn's going to have to figure out uh, some pieces here and there. He certainly has plenty to work with at quarterback with Dylan Gabriel. Jalen Robinson's one of the better receivers in uh, you know, in the conference and, and on the offensive line, you know, basically five starters are, are going to be back. Uh, they did lose a, a former uh, all-conference starting offensive lineman in, in uh, Parker Boudreau, but he didn't really play last year. And, and you know, two of the guys coming back are, are all-conference caliber players, including Matt Lee, who though he didn't grade out particularly well and in, in you know, PFF rankings, things like that, was a freshman All-American, started as a, a freshman last year at center. So, you know, there there are a lot of, of good pieces. I do have uh, questions about what the offense will look like because uh, at Auburn, Gus Malzahn seemed to kind of get stuck a little bit in a rut and – I personally would would love to see him kind of go back uh, pretty much a, a, a you know over a decade ago when he was very very fresh in college football uh, his second year third year as a college assistant was a, a offensive coordinator at Tulsa and they did some some for the time incredible things very explosive. Uh, offensively had a quarterback throw for what uh, four or 5,000 yards uh, had uh, a thousand yard running back and 3000 yard receivers. They were much more wide open, you know, playing at a fast pace, which of course was, was new at the time, but at Auburn, they they changed a little bit, slowed it down a little bit, did some more things formationally, you know, just kind of uh, played a, a, a little uh, bigger, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling for the words here, but for so long, Gus Malzahn was, was really kind of a rock star in the coaching community because he brought in fresh ideas, you know, playing at a, a high pace and, and things like that. And it just seemed like he got away from that 
a little bit. UCF played at, at the fastest pace offensively in college football in 2019. So that wouldn't necessarily be a change. I don't know that that's the, the direction they need to go, but I think, you know, having a quarterback that is a proven passer, you can build an offense around that. If you're Gus Malzahn, I think he can be a little bit more creative. I think he'll, you know, uh, might just be a little freer, not at Auburn, might be a little uh, more motivated. He, he seemed a little, you know, pissed off in his initial uh, press conference there, seems to really want to go out and, and, you know, be a dominant program. And, and I think that UCF, you know, has, has the talent, has the facilities, has all of that. The recruiting, Malzahn's always been able to recruit well, recruited Florida well. I think the, the program is headed in, in, in a good direction now, but I, I wonder what this first offense is going to look like because there were some, some good moments. They ranked in the top 25 and all, you know, uh, all uh, five of those categories that that we talk about, including 13th and EPA per play offensively. That was the best one. Defensively, they've got a long way to go. And you mentioned some of the guys that they have to replace. You know, I'm I'm a little bit concerned at at what the defense is going to look like, but more so, you know, I I think that they're going to be able to line up and compete with anybody in the conference talent-wise. And I just feel like Malzahn will be able to to scheme things up a little bit better to take advantage of that talent more so than Hypel was. And, you know, looking at our, our early, early numbers, they're going to be favorites in 11 games in the regular season. They are going to be an underdog on the road at Cincinnati. That's probably going to be close to a touchdown, you know, but, but everything else, they're at least a field goal favorite right now in, in every other game and that includes non-conference game against Louisville you know that includes SMU who's going to be tough uh that game being on the road so you know Boise State they're they're a favorite over Boise State uh pretty convincingly early on in in that season opener so our numbers definitely had UCF overrated uh this time last year it's absolutely possible they may again but right now I mean I, I think that this is a team that has the potential to do everything we thought it could last year. Uh, I just have some questions on, you know, change in, in philosophy, change in head coach. What's that first year? Sometimes first years are bumpy. Malzahn had the best first year you could hope for when he was at Auburn as a, a head coach. Is he going to be able to do that same sort of thing at UCF? Or are we going to see a little bit more of a traditional, you know, acclimation type period. I think things are set up to where, you know, basically it, it should be good to go and compete for a conference championship right away. But I, I do still have just a little bit of concern because what I hope UCF looks like offensively is quite a bit different than what Auburn has been the last couple of years. Uh, Xavier, I mean, uh, I, I like what Nick has said. You know, there, there's a lot to like here, and maybe Malzahn getting into a new place will reinvigorate some of those initial, uh, you know, uh, re- revelations that he really had on offense. Do you hold out hope for that for Gus Malzahn uh, moving over to UCF, or are you more of uh, we we know what we've seen from Gus Malzahn, and it's going to be boring? I think Gus was just burnt out. I think when he was at Auburn, I feel like the expectations just kind of got the best of him at some point. And I really felt 
like he lost his creativity because at the end of the day, he was just trying to find results. Uh, and we and we talk about how sports is a results based business, but at the same time, you understand that some in some jobs that you have, that you can get the results while also trying to be creative, and you also understand that sometimes you just gotta do what you gotta do to get there. And I felt like that was what Miles on was like in his last couple of years at Auburn. Uh, I felt like he was just trying to get to the finish line. He, he was just trying to make sure he won nine games, possibly 10, maybe upset Bama and, and got to a, a decent bowl game. I feel like he had lost his love for, you know, the nuances of the game. So I absolutely think Nick is right. This is a perfect opportunity for him to find his his love of the game back. You know, when, when you're at a university like Auburn that every year is expecting you to either make it to a New Year's Six Bowl or the SEC championship game, you can find yourself – you know, if you're not doing that consistently in a rut, like Nick said, and I think not only is he going to be able to find the creativity, but he has the talent to do so. Uh, you know, he's walking into a team with a quarterback that Nick had as a dark horse Heisman favorite last year. If I'm not mistaken, it was Nick, uh, you know, in Dylan Gabriel that had a, had a, well, made a playoff run. Absolutely. He could have yeah. made and a so run. With that kind of quarterback talent, I think he sees an, an opportunity here to try some things out. You know, he's got an opportunity here to get there. And, and, you know, UCF has nowhere to go but up from last year. You know, they had one of their, the worst seasons that they've had in, in at least five or six years last year. You know, and I know that sounds crazy because they still had a winning record. But still, they, they, they you know, for a team as talented as they were, four losses is, is a huge amount of losses for them uh, last year. So I think going into this year, you look, you see Malzahn definitely begin to open up the playbook again try things out in a conference that he can do so. You know, he's not playing A&M, Alabama, Florida, and Tennessee back-to-back-to-back-to-back weeks. He's going to have opportunities to try some things, to to work on, you know, some nuances that he may not have been able to try at Auburn when he was just trying to get the results. Uh, so I think it's going to be a very exciting year. Outside of their game at Cincinnati, I, I think that they are able to go at the at worst. I think this is a 10-2 and two ball club. I think the biggest issue with, US, with USC, UCF last year was that they had these long lows, and we saw it against, uh, I believe it was Tulsa, where they just could not find the end zone. They could move the ball but they couldn't find the end zone. And they continued that, you know, even in games in which they blew people out last year, you know, against uh, Georgia Tech last year, they, they had, uh, you know, that game was close at halftime. And then obviously they woke up in the second half and ended up winning that game. And that was kind of the theme in which UCF carried last year, almost a second half team. And, you know, they, they couldn't get away with that in a lot of their ball games. And so in the ball games in which they lost, excuse me. And, and I think that changes this year. I think the schedule is very favorable outside. You know, they have some really fun games on the schedule. Nick alluded to Cincinnati. I think the game against Boise state is going to be a, a good barometer to see how good this team can be as well uh, going into this year. Uh, but I don't see why they, you know, why, why, why they can't be a 10, a double get, can't get back, excuse me, to double digit wins. I think this is a 10 and two ball club. The only two losses to me would be against Boise state and Cincinnati. I think every other game, they're the favorite for me going into every other one. Uh, personally, even I, I know that Nick, you, they're the favorite against Boise state. Correct. Uh, according to our early numbers and, and those will change a little mm-hmm. bit. We've got some, I mean, obviously if any, uh, personnel news or, or things like that happen, injuries, that sort of stuff. We, we update all that stuff every day. So that could change if there's a major uh, bit of news that comes out that affects it. But uh, we do have a little bit of, of work to do on our coaching 
ratings as well. There are a couple of, of updates I want to make to those that might cause a few points here or there, but okay. it's going to be very unlikely unless there's a major something uh, right now, it looks like, because Malzahn does have a, a high head coach rating and that carries mm -hmm. a certain amount of weight. And because Boise State, Andy Avalos is a first time first year head coach. So we just kind of have to plug in a generic average rating for that. Right. They're probably going to be a favorite of at least a field goal. I, I would expect. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. That's so a I, long, I, yes. <laughs> I, you know, I, like I said, I think this UCF team is a 10 and two team. I think they get back to double digits and I think, and I'm going to put this in my back pocket. I might put, $10 on it, but Dylan Gabriel as a Heisman dark horse, I will go ahead and go out on the limb like Nick did last year and put that out and put that out there as a quite possibility. I mean, I, I like your, uh, I like your strategy, but it is easier to flush $10 right down the toilet. I mean, you know, it's, you know, that a, a P five quarterback is most likely winning the Heisman trophy. So hey, I mean, give me a chance. Hey, <laughs> we, there's a one year winning streak for uh, not that. So. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, you know, uh, but it was a P5 wide receiver. So, you know, that's fair. Fair. Uh, uh, st still not a G5 player. So, uh, speaking <laughs> of P5 and, and speaking of Malzahn's former team, let's go talk about Auburn six and five last year. Obviously, a brand new coaching staff for them. Uh, Brian Harson comes over from Boise State, brings in Mike Bobo, the South Carolina OC, as their new OC. Derek Mason, who was fired at uh, Vanderbilt, is their new defensive coordinator. So a lot of new faces there. Twentieth ranked recruiting class, still Auburn. You know what I mean? But twentieth in the SEC is eight. Twentieth in the country is eighth in the SEC, which is not good. Only return uh, one All SEC player, and it is kicker Anders Carlson. So uh, more special teams being special. Eleven transfers out because of the new coaching staff only one transfer in they do return um or they they do have some talent going to the nfl safety jamie and sherwood wide receiver anthony schwartz linebacker kj Britton, wide receiver seth williams all going to the nfl so lots of new faces uh, but same expectations at auburn nick so uh are they gonna come anywhere close to living up to what a normal auburn expectation season would be <laughs> All right, so so finally, after being so you know rosy and optimistic about everybody so far, I don't have a great feeling. I mean, I I I don't feel great about Auburn, shall I say? I think that one, you know, looking back at, at the season that he had, the last couple of seasons under Gus Malzahn, there are some things that will bleed over, you know, from our uh, previous conversation. Auburn didn't do a great job, it seemed, of utilizing the talent it had on offense. And, you know, I look at Seth Williams, who physically I thought was one of the more impressive receivers in college football last year. And Auburn targeted him 100 times, but he caught fewer than 50 passes. It, you know, they just weren't able to get him the ball. Uh, they had Anthony Schwartz, who you know is often referenced as the fastest player in college football, and didn't you know weren't able to get him uh, nearly the the amount of touches that that you would have liked to have seen. I mean, he he was able to lead the team in receptions, but you know uh, was was just not quite. They weren't really able to to 
get him the ball in space to make enough plays. He only averaged, you know, a little under 12 yards per reception, only scored three times last season. Uh, in previous years, they did a better job of getting him the ball out of the backfield or on reverses, things like that. He only had four touches as a, a, a runner uh, last season. So, you know, not, not loving that. And both of those guys are, are off to the NFL, I think have really bright futures, uh, but they just didn't, you know, didn't have the production I think that they were capable of having. And part of that is, is Gus Malzahn's fault. And, and, you know, he did hand off play calling duties a couple of times, including last year uh, to Chad Morris. He has said at UCF that he's not doing that anymore. The rest of his career, he plans on, calling the plays. I think that's a, a good thing. Every time that he took back control of the offense at Auburn, things got better. And every time he handed it over, uh, things got a little bit worse. So, you know, hopefully that's a good sign for UCF moving forward. But, uh, you know, at, at, at Auburn, on the one hand, okay, the previous coaching staff didn't utilize its offensive talent to the best of its ability. That's a bad thing. Also, you know, Williams, Schwartz, and also Eli Stove, who caught 40 passes. Uh, those those three are the only players who caught more than 11 passes last season. All those guys are going to be gone. So, you know, in, in the passing game, uh, your, your weapons, you're going to have a lot of new faces out there. Bo Nix, a two-year starter already going into his junior season, uh, you know, should be on paper, you know, former four, five-star caliber guy as a recruit two years of starting experience should we should be talking about him as one of the best quarterbacks in at least the sec but just you know also hasn't quite lived up to that potential and the average 6.8 yards per pass attempt last year through seven interceptions uh you know a little under shade under 60 percent completion percentage was was useful as a runner actually led the team in touchdowns had almost 400 yards on the ground but but still just you know hasn't looked uh, hasn't been very consistent, hasn't looked uh, great at times. So I'm a little concerned. You know, a, a lot of we hear, you know, some whispers and, and things about, uh, you know, this is NFL draft time. So there are annually, it seems, uh, sort of shots from uh, NFL scouts and, and talent evaluators at Gus Malzahn's offense being the farthest thing uh, from an NFL offense and not being able to uh, develop a quarterback. And, you know, uh, looking at Bo Nix, a little bit of that is 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 uh, true. Just hasn't quite progressed, hasn't quite lived up to that potential. Maybe a change in coaching staff, maybe going to uh, Mike Bobo as an offensive coordinator, potentially – we will see a little bit of a step forward. I personally am not super excited about the Bobo hire. Uh, seemed a little bit odd. There are some uh, reports and whispers out there that that wasn't 100% Brian Harson's uh, decision to make, which I don't think is a great uh, starting point there. I, I do like Derek Mason as a coach, as a defensive play caller, when he, similar to Gus Malzahn, took control of, of the reins of, uh, calling the defense at Vanderbilt, they got better when he handed it off. They got worse. And then, you know, prior to his stint there was one of the best defensive coordinators in college football when he was at Stanford. So, you know, maybe he gets a little bit rejuvenated now that he's not the man in charge and, and can just sort of concentrate on uh, running that defense. I think they will be one of the better defenses in the SEC. Uh, one thing I, I've mentioned before, 
in our new 2021 FBS uh, team profiles, kind of to, to help a little bit where certain position groups might kind of outweigh their actual importance, specifically thinking about linebackers. We've we've kind of blended our, our unit rankings to where we also, uh, in addition to defensive line, linebacker, and secondary, we now have front seven and back seven ratings as well. While Auburn ranks in the top 10 nationally in our linebacker ratings, defensive back ratings, front seven and back seven. And, and that's even losing, uh, you know, such an important player like Big Cat Bryant that we talked about just a minute ago. So talent-wise, they're in, in great hands. Derek Mason, I think, is, is going to be able to utilize that talent really well. Uh, but, you know, Mason hasn't worked with Bobo, to my knowledge. Bobo hasn't worked with Harson. Harson hasn't worked with Mason. It's it's a lot of new faces. Harson hasn't, uh, you know, coached in, in the SEC uh, as a head coach. So it's 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 a lot going on. And and uh, often, you know, when when there's a, a changeover, we've used the word, you know, so many moving parts. And and I think that that is the case at at Auburn. That it's just kind of difficult to get a a read on the team but it's it's i think more so difficult to uh get a real positive feeling when there's so much newness happening and and brian harson did some great things at boise state you know prior to that he had some success uh colin place has been a power five uh you know does have some power five experience been a couple of years at texas as a uh, quarterbacks coach and, and co-offensive coordinator. So it's not completely foreign to him uh, being in, in, you know, the biggest uh, stage in, in college football, but I don't know. I, I just don't have a great feeling right now. I, I, I like Tank Bigsby at running back. I think if they, you know, build the offense around the running game and, and give him as many touches as you can with an experienced offensive line, that's a great place to start. Um, hearing really, really good things about Javaris Johnson in spring practice, really breaking through, breaking out as a, a wide receiver. Uh, Xavion Capers had, uh, you know, has some promise, and Elijah Canyon had a huge bowl game into the season. So, you know, there are some weapons, and, and I think there's reason to think that a Harson offense could do a little bit better job of utilizing his best players because we've seen, you know, thousand yard running backs at Boise state almost every year. We've seen the interesting things they've done with Khalil Shakir and his skill set at, at receiver recently. So, you know, I, I'm hopeful that, that maybe uh, something will click, but you know, Bobo's not the most exciting, uh, you know, uh, type offense hasn't been uh, traditionally. So, I don't know. I, I, I think that it's going to be very difficult. The schedule is difficult. They're going to, of course, have to play Georgia and Auburn as they do every year, Texas A&M as they do every year. And then LSU, I think, is you know certainly going to be improved. And, and Arkansas seems to be on the rise and will be very motivated after uh, you know that, that was a, a win was snatched away from them against Auburn last year. They play Penn State, who uh, is just as talented, even though they're coming off a, a disappointing season. So I, I don't know. I mean, Auburn is is certainly a top 20 team. They're 19th in our uh, first preseason power rankings. That's fifth in the SEC, and, and you know, it, it's on par with a lot of the teams that they will face. They are not a – they're only a double-digit underdog against Alabama. 
according to our first set of, of projections. So it's not like there's an unwinnable game on the schedule, but I just, I just don't have a great feeling that they're going to be able to go in and pull off two or three or four upsets and really make a big, big improvement in year one. I, I think that they will be a bowl contending team. Probably we should expect a winning record, but I don't see a whole lot of a, a difference as far as the final record once all is said and done in, in 2021. Javier, what do you think? Do you have the same pessimism for Auburn, or are you a little higher on them than Nick is? Can somebody say six and six? Seven and five at most. This is going to be a rough one for Auburn fans. I, I will be 110% honest with you. Uh, this is going to be a rough year. I, I, I don't see many wins on their schedule. I don't see many con- consistent wins on their schedule either. Uh, I think they'll get through Akron and Alabama State just fine. I think the game at Penn State will be their first loss. Um, I, I, I'm not – I'm not confident against LSU this year for them. Then I see Georgia the week afterwards, and they can't run in the head. Arkansas will be a much uh, inspired team going into that week. Uh, yes, they won't have Felipe Frank, so I think they'll be able to win that game. However, it'll be a much inspired Arkansas team that week. So, And they're playing that one in Fayetteville uh, as well. Uh, then they get an off week, and <laughs> then they get Ole Miss and Texas A&M back-to-back week. So, you know, for me, it's going to be a rough one. Uh, Bo Nix has not taken the steps necessary for me uh, to 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 both have any confidence that he will all of a sudden make a a bountiful leap in, in 2021 that will that will see him as one of the better quarterbacks in the conference uh, offensively outside of Tank Bigsby I don't know where their offense is going to come from uh, this was one of the most predictable passing teams in the in the country last year uh, it was rough rough to watch them try to throw the football last year uh, and that was with Seth Williams now that he's gone uh, Anthony Schwartz and company are also gone as well it's, I don't know what they're going to do in the passing game uh, they're going to have to come be very creative this year uh, defensively they were okay last year but so some very uh, unfortunate injuries especially at the linebacking core when they lost uh, Kenny Britt if I'm not mistaken last year also really hurt them as well I, I, I'm just really concerned about this Auburn team and the trajectory of this team Bringing in Bobo. I don't get it. I really don't get it. This is a guy who has been living off of his time at Georgia for the last couple of times he's been hired. He didn't work at South Carolina. I don't know why you would bring him into your program as well. Uh, I just don't understand the hire uh, from, from, from uh, you know, if we're going to completely start over, why not start over 100% and not bring in a guy in Bobo who has been passed around the SEC multiple times at this point? Uh, I like the Derek Mason hire. I agree with you, Nick. I think that he can bring some stability to a defense that I think uh, for a large margin leaned on its talent. Very, very much so. I mean, we've seen how much of that talent has been able to uh, change the NFL landscape. You know, Carlton Davis, uh, Derek Brown uh, and and company have been able to, you know, turn that same talent, you know, turn that talent into into production in the NFL. I think they leaned on that heavily when they were in college. I don't think that they had a very good foundation. I think that's why we saw them struggle so much last year. Uh, So this team, like I said, I think seven to five is a comfortable place for me to put them in. Uh, I think there's seven, you know, there's six wins come Akron, Alabama State, uh, Georgia State, Mississippi State, South Carolina, and maybe over Arkansas. And that's it for me. That's all I can say confidently uh, that they'll be able to do. Maybe they'll pull off a couple of upsets in there as well. But I'm just not confident in this in this Auburn team at all. And when you look at the recruiting trail, it's getting progressively worse. Uh, last year, their recruiting was seventh 
This year was 20th. Last year they finished fifth in the SEC. This year was eighth. Yes, there was a coaching change. Uh, but how well is Brian Harson going to be able to uh, recruit the state of Alabama? That's a that's a hot spot for the entirety of the SEC. So guys are definitely going to want to come in there and take that talent away from Auburn. And if they are not they if they are not able to put wins together, that is exactly what's going to happen. Uh, so I'm worried about Auburn right now. I'll be perfectly honest with you. On that, on that recruiting note, one thing that stuck out to me, and I'm not a big recruiting guy, but I know for a long time, Auburn, even more so than than Alabama, was was living on the recruiting trail in Georgia. And the last mm-hmm. couple of years under Malzahn really, you know, weren't winning those battles in Georgia. So, you know, I don't know if if Mike Bobo is a name that's going to help with that in, in Georgia, even though he's got a lot of ties in the state, all over the state. But uh, that that's something. I, I think that to get back into the – uh, upper echelon of the SEC recruiting wise, they they need to do better in the in the state of Georgia than they have the last couple of cycles. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, Bobo has a lot of ties to the state of Georgia. The only issue with Bobo is that that's not necessarily being reciprocated when he actually goes to these schools. For instance, South Carolina. He was at South Carolina last year. South Carolina didn't recruit the state of Georgia too particularly well, uh, and that's with having him and Muschamp. So I I don't. Think I think where we'll see a real shift is actually in Tennessee with Derek Mason because although Derek Mason wasn't a great coach for Vanderbilt, he's still very well respected in that state. And Tennessee is a hot spot for high school football, and great recruits come out of that state. And with how an influx Tennessee is, I think that's where they you see a shift possibly in the way that they recruit Tennessee with him being on the staff. All right, let's go to Miami. Uh, eight and three last season, 12th ranked recruiting class, second in the ACC, five transfers out, three transfers in, including former four stars, OU wide receiver Charleston Rambo and Georgia defense back Tyreek Stevenson. Uh, returned one all SEC player uh, to the team in safety, Bubba Bolden, uh, but all ACC, excuse me, player. We were just talking about Auburn for so long. I had <laughs> SEC stuck in my head. Um, they do have a lot of talent. Uh, going into the NFL, Jalen Phillips, Brevin Jordan, Quincy Roche, Greg Rousseau, and kicker Jose Boyalgas all going to the NFL. And they do have a lot of new coaches on the staff here and Derek King returning from his knee injury. Uh, Tavares Robinson is the new D-backs coach. Uh, he was uh, South Carolina defensive coordinator last season. Jess Simpson comes over uh, to coach the defensive line from the Atlanta Falcons. Marcus Van Dyke is the new CB coach. Uh, he was the uh, an assistant director of recruiting at Miami last year, and Ishmael uh, Aristide uh, comes over to coach linebackers. He was a defensive analyst for the Aggies last year, Texas A&M. So uh, Miami, uh, some decent returning talent here. Um, De'Aaron King coming back. Good team last year, 8-3, and three, but uh, they do lose a lot on defense, Nick. So what do we think about Miami going into 2021? Uh, so, so two things. One, back on the the optimism train here with with Miami. Uh, two, we're we're still talking Gus Malzahn adjacent uh, coaches because you know Rhett Lashley in his first year as offensive coordinator at Miami last year. Uh, I think we saw some real reasons to be optimistic about the future for Miami offensively. That was something you know they were kind of stuck in the past, seemed to be one of those teams that just wasn't able 
to capitalize on the talent on hand. The offense had been stagnant, had been uh, kind of stuck a little bit in, in uh, you know, that traditional pro style, what we used to call uh, sort of, you know, 21 personnel, running back, fullback, tight end, that that sort of thing. And, and just wasn't a, it didn't feel like a modern offense should be feel and and wasn't quite uh just didn't seem suited to the talent that that Miami had on hand. Rhett Lashley had been Gus Malzahn's right-hand man, wasn't a play caller for a lot of that time, but was able to to go out, spread his wings a little bit, had great success at SMU and and uh came to Miami and and really seems to be finding his stride as one of the better offensive coordinators in the ACC, I would say. I mean, he ranks 34th in our offensive coordinator rankings and and I think that he might actually be a little bit better than that certainly has the potential to to rise up uh those rankings you know with a, with another solid season so Miami did you know uh, make some improvement offensively before uh Lashley got there the the previous two seasons 2018 2019 uh Miami ranked 100 uh, 101st and 100th in our offensive team performance ratings. Last year, they were 39th, not you know perfect by any stretch, but that's a big, big jump in just one year under a new uh, you know offensive coaching staff. They ranked 30th in yards per play, 26th in net, uh, excuse me, 26th in points per drive, and you know top 40 in yards per pass attempt and, and EPA per play offensively. So certainly I think some positive signs. Derek King was a big part of that. His health, of course, is going to be, you know, the first, second, third, fourth question uh, until we see him on the field again. You know, will he be able to be full speed? He's somebody who's had injuries in the past. He's not played a ton of football the last three, you know, two and a half years, we should say, had a had an injury at the tail end of an incredible 2018 season, 2019 only played four games and, and, you know, sat out the rest of the year, of course. And then last year looked great at times, looked like things were really headed in the right direction, but of course, you know, significant injury at, at the end of the year. So want to see him back and healthy because I think, you know, second year with him as a quarterback, second year with Rhett Lashley as the play caller and, has some weapons to work with. I, I, you know, Cameron Harris has had some success at the running back position and, and, you know, two uh, freshmen behind him might be, you know, just more talented as far as uh, their, their raw talent goes. Don Chaney and Jalen Knighton, a lot to be excited about there. The receivers, we saw some progress from Mike Harley, from D Wiggins, Drops were a major, major issue. And then at the tight end position, they do lose Brevin Jordan, who was a little bit of a chess piece, could do some really exciting things with. But Will Mallory is back. You mentioned they brought in Rambo. They've recruited well. I've heard good things this spring about uh, Xavier Restrepo. So, you know, I think offensively, they're going to continue to, to take a step forward. The offensive line has year after year been an issue. And last year, wasn't much better. They ranked 100th overall in our offensive line performance ratings, but for the second straight year, bringing back all five starters, and and really you can think bringing back six starters because their best offensive lineman, uh, Navon Donaldson, only played 28 snaps last season, but you expect that he'll uh, hopefully be fully healthy and, and be inserted in that offensive line somewhere. They just need to find a consistent starting five, and and you know hopefully that – 
another year of experience will show some progress there. Defensively, they're, they're, you mentioned the, the high-end pass rushers that they will be uh, forced to replace, but they brought in DeAndre Jordan, a former starter at Tennessee, seems to fit that same mold. The defensive backfield, I think, is going to be, you know, at least on paper, one of the best in college football. Right now they rank third in our defensive back ratings uh, nationally and, and fourth as far as our back seven ratings. So this is a very, very talented secondary. Everybody's back and they add, as you said, Tyreek Stevenson. So there's a lot to like there. And, and many Diaz, talk about, again, uh, third team in a row here, somebody taking back the play calling duties. He's taken over as uh, the play caller defensively, uh, Blake Baker moving on to LSU. So I, I think that, you know, a lot of the outside things seem to really be coming together for Miami. The talent has always been there, and I think it's actually on the rise. They're more talented now than they were two or three years ago. And it, it's, you know, they're starting to put it together. Our numbers really, really liked Miami last year, thought there was a chance that they could win Double-digit games could be the the best team, best shot to challenge Clemson in the ACC. It's setting up very, very similar to that at this early stage. They are going to be at least a two-touchdown underdog probably to Alabama. Pardon me. Uh, on a neutral site to open the game, but we've got them favored in every other regular season game in our early numbers. There are uh, a handful of pretty close uh, games. North Carolina is, is going to be basically a coin flip. According to our numbers, Pitt is actually a, a pretty tricky one. That's only about a field goal uh, that they're going to be favored. Appalachian State is, is certainly going to be a tough opponent. They're a team that finished higher than Miami last year in our power rankings. So, you know, there are certainly opportunities for them to stumble. But if our, you know, projections were to hold to form and they were to win all those games that they are, you know, one, two, three point favorites. We're looking at an ACC championship caliber team and, and they don't play Clemson in the regular season. But I think, you know, by the by the time that they would meet in that title game, if De'Eric King is fully healthy, if that offensive line takes a little bit of a, a step forward, I think they're going to be able to rush the passer just fine. You know, they, they have recruited the transfer portal pretty well and they seem to develop pass rushers pretty well also. So I think that they're going to be just fine there. I, I, I don't know that I trust Miami yet. They haven't proven it to me that they can, you know, truly compete for an ACC championship. They laid a couple of eggs at time last year, the game against North Carolina, just they look completely outmatched. But they're, I think, a, a team that I can be optimistic about. And, and part of that is Rhett Lashley. Part of that is getting the offense right. Uh, one thing that I'm finally that I have a, a minute to breathe that I'm not, uh, you know, we're getting almost finished with our team profiles. Still have daily updates, of course, but the big heavy lifting is, is done. So I'm excited. I can actually watch a little bit more football in the coming weeks, study a little bit more. One thing I'm excited about, there's a uh, high school coach who, who does a lot of uh, observation on, on Twitter, you know, puts 
videos out and things like that, writes books on certain subjects. Alex Kirby is his name, does some some great work. Uh, he's, he's written a book on the Coastal Carolina offense. He's written a book on the BYU offense. And right now he's digging into Miami. And, and I'm excited to look a little bit longer into, into that. He's really concentrating on the interesting things they do with trips into the boundary. And, and so uh, now that I have a little bit more time or will soon, I uh, want to dig into that sort of stuff. Miami is a team I think I'm going to spend some time with this late spring, this, you know, in the summer, kind of to figure out uh, if, if I should trust what our numbers say, because there are teams that sometimes, you know, we mentioned USC, Texas, teams like that. Miami is one of those teams. They look great on paper, it seems, year after year after year, but they kind of come up short. They were a team that did that for us last year. They're setting up to be a team that our numbers really, really like. They're 12th in our preseason power rankings, number two in the ACC. That might seem a little high, so I, I want to dig in and, and find out if if my eyes, you know, are, are catching up to what our numbers say. So, you know, things could change. Certainly, they could be a team that disappoints us again. But I, at this early stage, I think there's reasons to be optimistic about Miami. Are you are you putting the positive spin on Miami too, Xavier? Do you like uh, what they're bringing to the table? What do you think? That all is dependent on Derek King's health. I'll be 100% honest with you. If he does not come back the player he was last year, it's going to be really tough for them. I mean, he had to do some Houdini-type stuff to keep them in ball games as times. You know, Nick alluded to the North Carolina game last year. Although they got, you know, bludgeoned by North Carolina, he still had a pretty good game. Uh, you know, I, he is just has, he just last year, he had to be so much better than the opposing team. Uh, team's defense that it really worries me and concerns me if he cannot be that much better than them this year. I mean, we're talking about a team that talent wise should be beating the doors off of a Virginia and, and they barely won that game. They beat them by five, beat NC state by three, beat Virginia tech by one. You know, this, this is not, there, there's not a lot of confidence I have in this Miami team outside of Derrick King, especially with some of the talent that they lost on, especially up front on the defensive side of the ball going to the draft with Gregory Rousseau and Jalen Phillips leaving. Excuse me. I, I think defensively they should be better. I'm expecting, especially on the back end, this is a completely senior-laden secondary uh, for the most part, You know, especially in the starting and your base defense, your two corners, your two safeties, all seniors. Uh, you know, and, and so I'm expecting at least on the back end for them to be better. Um, you know, but but once again, can they produce points? And although I believe that the ACC will be down this year as far as the rest of the talent in the ACC, I still don't. I'm still not confident that they'll be able to just run through the ACC. I mean, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think Miami could start off 0 and 2 and then run the rest of their schedule. I, you know, I think they'll lose to Alabama and they can lose that game to App State. And I think they'll find their footing after that. You know, I, I genuinely believe that, um, you know, after that, they've got Michigan State, uh, CCSU, and Virginia. I think they can finish out that first five weeks before their bye weeks, three and two. And then we can start to talk about them uh, down the road. They do get lucky with not having to see Clemson this year. Um, I think So I think that that helps them as well. The only tough, tough, tough game in the a ACC that I'm just going to pencil in as a loss for them already is against North Carolina. Outside of that, I think that they can compete and win every other game. They have a chance against North Carolina, I will say that, but I don't. I'm not confident as of right now that says that they're going to beat North Carolina. I think this is an eight 
possibly nine win ball club uh, next year, 10 wins if they can get over the hump against North Carolina after the bye week um, on October 16th. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did represent their side of the conference in the ACC championship game. I think North Carolina is still my favorite as of right now. I wouldn't be surprised by it, but I think Nick, when Nick starts saying ifs, I start losing confidence. It's kind of just how it works. You know, when he said, if Derek King is healthy, knock against him. When he said, if the offensive line, doctor. Xavier, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but when you, then you then you said if the offensive line can actually do their job, not against them. I was like, I was like, all right, cool. We're just building up an argument here for why Miami will be a nine-win team and will miss out on the ACC championship game again. Uh, so I, I think that's where I'm comfortable sitting. Nine wins, uh, possibly, like I said, starting off zero and two, and then their only their other loss could be to North Carolina. But I think Nick is right. This team, you know, this team success fringes on how good and how healthy Derek King will be next year. All right, let's go to Buffalo. Six and one, our only MAC team here. A 99th ranked recruiting class uh, last season or this season, excuse me, eighth in the MAC. Seven transfers out, only one in. They do return some all MAC talent. Left tackle Jake Fuzak, center Mike Nowitzki, linebacker James Patterson, linebacker Gaddafi Wright, and safety Tyrone Hill. All coming back, they do lose a couple players to the NFL in edge rusher Malcolm uh, Kantz and running back Jarrett Patterson and offensive guard Cody Awosika, I believe is how you say his name. I'm sure I absolutely butchered that, Nick. But uh, Buffalo, what do you think about them this season? I mean, we're not mentioning a lot of MAC teams here. So uh, can they stick with what they had last year and improve? So uh, Buffalo, I think it is, I think it is safe to say is our most overrated team. And I, I was certainly impressed with Buffalo. I mean, Jared Patterson was absolutely incredible. Uh, just the numbers he put up in such a short, you know, uh, such a small uh, sample last season was, was just, it was just incredible to watch But, you know, one thing is uh, that that the the pure dominance that they had offensively, running the ball, the offensive line, they were number one in our team uh, offensive line performance ratings last season, and it really wasn't particularly close. Offensive linemen based on, you know, in, in part Patterson's uh, work and, and Kevin Marks too. He, he certainly was uh, explosive as well. But uh, the the three, excuse me, four returning starters on the offensive line all had at least 15 production points based in part on Patterson's production last season. That's, you know, two of those guys were all conference players. But, you know, still how much of that really is is due to the offensive line? Will they see a bit of a drop off with one of those two, you know, big time running backs gone? I do like Marks a lot and, and think he, you know, with a heavier workload could certainly put up huge, huge numbers. But I, I'm a little I'm a little worried that Buffalo just feasted on weak Mac defenses and, and kind of helped inflate those numbers. And and so, you know, even though we do weight uh the team performance in our preseason numbers and uh where where you know this top twelve Overall team performance rating Buffalo put up last year, including number five on offense, isn't going to carry all of that weight. So, it, you know, we we do sort of blunt it a little bit and, and pull it back just a little bit because I think those numbers are a little inflated by the, the uh, soft schedule that they played. 
still those numbers are are going to continue to to keep Buffalo probably at or very close to the top of our MAC power rankings. Right now in our earliest numbers, they are still the highest rated team in the MAC. We talked a, a couple of weeks ago about Toledo and Western Michigan. It's pretty close. And I think that that when all is said and done, uh, one of those two could potentially uh, pass Buffalo. But right now, based on just the the numbers that they put up in, in 2020, Buffalo is is bringing back enough and, and had enough success last year that they're looking like that top-rated uh, MAC team in our, in our preseason numbers. But there are, I think, some, you know, a little bit of cause for concern beyond just what might be a little bit of uh, inflated statistics. It's, it's a little strange to me at Buffalo that multi-year starters – enter the transfer portal as much as they do. They have a tight end, Zach Lefevre, multiple starter, you know, has played over 350 snaps each of the last two years, uh, decided to transfer to Western Kentucky. You know, a multi-year starter at corner, uh, Roy Baker, or, or at least, you know, big-time contributor, wasn't really a starter in, in 2019, but, you know, played 350 snaps, was, was uh, arguably their best corner last season entered the transfer portal or are those guys moving on to uh, bigger things? They had players after the 2019 season transferred to places like Boston college. And, you know, it, it happens where guys say, okay, I want to move up a little bit in competition, maybe see, you know, have more scouts at our games and, and things like that, have an opportunity to uh, capitalize and, and become a, you know, catch the eye of an NFL scout. I, I certainly get that, but it seems to happen more at Buffalo than I would expect for a team that is, you know, has been as good and consistent as they've been and under a head coach that is so widely respected as Lance Leopold seems to be, you know, was a pure, just dominant head coach at, at division three has had success built Buffalo from one of the worst teams in, in, you know, FBS college football into a Mac title contender year after year, basically. But we've seen guys, big time players transfer or, or leave for the draft. Tyree Jackson a couple of years ago, you know, was super raw uh, as a quarterback has had all the tools we thought could be a, a player to get drafted, but first entered the transfer portal then decided to, to go on to the NFL draft, is undrafted, I don't think has played in the NFL. I could be wrong. Maybe he's changed, changed positions. You guys would know better than I would. But uh, it's it's there's something just just a little bit strange about it. And, and I do really respect Buffalo. I do really respect Leopold. He's done a great job. Maybe he's just open with those guys and say, hey, yeah, you know, you think you've proven what you can prove here. Go on to the next thing. I fully support you. Maybe that's the case. But – Something just just seems a little little weird about that to me. But you know, beyond that, Leopold has done a really really good job finding kind of underrated players, diamonds in the rough, that are either super talented or or that program is able to develop them. Uh, they're probably going to have you know Malcolm Kuntz is is likely to get drafted. Jared Patterson's probably going to get drafted, and maybe uh, Oasika, maybe Antonio Nunn, who left early as a, a, a wide receiver. Uh, I haven't seen him in, in any of the recent mocks that I've done, you know, seen recently, but he's a guy that that had some success, was talented, was an unrated player coming out of high school. But, you know, Leopold and, and the staff was able to go into Florida, find him and, and ends up becoming a, an all conference caliber player, really solid option at, at receiver. So 
Buffalo is is a little bit difficult to read. The talent numbers are not great. They are triple digits in our recruiting strength numbers, basically their entire history. Roster strength-wise, overall, they rank 100th. So uh, it's it's difficult for me sometimes, and, and I can understand if it's difficult for, for listeners to uh, kind of connect, okay, this is a team that ranks 100th in overall talent, but they're a top 25 team in our you know final power rankings. They're going to be a top uh, 50 team in our, our preseason numbers. Even if they're losing maybe three guys who are going to get drafted, that it's difficult sometimes to square that with me. A lot of that is past performance, both for the head coach from the team last year. So I, I certainly would understand if somebody looks at it and says, okay, Buffalo's a little overrated. I probably would have to agree with you. So I'm going to be very cautious with Buffalo entering this season. Uh, right now, our early numbers have them favored in, in every regular season game except for Nebraska in week two. That includes the game against Coastal Carolina. They're about a two-point favorite. I don't expect Buffalo to be favored in that game, you know, when the line comes out from from the odds makers uh, in that game. They're uh, a very narrow favorite over Ball State in, in the season finale. They play Western Michigan. We have them as a touchdown favorite. I would expect that to be a little closer. Kent State, we have them almost as a touchdown favorite. I would expect that to be a little bit closer. So I don't think that Buffalo will be a dominant team in the MAC. I think that uh, we can expect them to compete week in and week out. They might be you know, worthy of that number one spot in our power rankings, but I don't think this is a team, at least as it shakes out on paper right now, uh, that we can expect to win every game that it's supposed to win on paper, in part because I think uh, the way we've got things structured a little bit on paper, specifically for Buffalo, you know, I, I, I think they might be a tad overrated according to our numbers. I mean, uh, Xavier, you know, Nick just said, this is probably one of the most overrated teams that we have here in Buffalo. Uh, and like I said before, we don't see many Mac teams up in this area. So uh, how confident are you uh, with the bulls going into 2021? I just want people to know if Nick says you're, you're one of the most overrated teams on our list, that is a pretty, Pretty, pretty damning remark from Nick. You know, Nick doesn't really go out on the ledge that much and say things like that. So for him to say that, you know, that's, that's pretty confident there. I'm going to have to agree with Nick, though. I, well, I, I was shocked to see them at 23 when, when we looked at the list today or when I, when I, when I looked at the list today. And I, I just genuinely think that when we come into this year, you're absolutely right, Nick. They absolutely were able to beat up on, on some pretty poor Mac defenses last year. Uh, and I don't think they're able to do that this year. I'm also not confident whatsoever at that quarterback position. Uh, Kyle Van Treese might be one of the uh, – I hate using the term game manager, but that is what his numbers reside. Uh, you know, last year, 1,300 yards, seven touchdowns, and three interceptions. That doesn't that doesn't tell me many, really anything from a quarterback perspective. And, and with losing, losing excuse me, uh, Jarrett Patterson, I just don't see – where they make up for it. Will Kevin Marks, whether they do it by uh, running back by committee or will Kevin Marks take the job outright? That's yet to be seen. Uh, you know, they, they bring back a lot of talent on the offensive line, which tells me that, you know, Kyle Van Treese, if they were to open up the offense a little bit, would be upright. 
But his ability to throw the football is still in question for me uh, going into this year. I mean, this is going to be a team, I think, that really leans on their defense. And I don't think it's going to bode well for them. You know, we talked in previous episodes about how explosive some of these MAC offenses are going to be next year. Uh, and I don't think they're going to be able to keep up with them. I, I think this is, an, you know, at best, I think this is a 7-5, and 8-4 and four kind of ball club, which could win the MAC. Like, let me just preface that statement there. That, that kind of record could absolutely win the MAC uh, with how volatile that conference is and with how difficult their non-conference schedule is at, at the moment uh, with playing Nebraska and Coastal Carolina. I still do not, you know, and, and so for me, I think this is a team that could possibly win the MAC, but will not be a top twenty-five team by the end of the year. Uh, I see it as a seven, as an eight and four ball club, seven and five, uh, you know, at worst for me, because I do still think they bring back a ton of talent on defense. So I think that they'll be able to stop people. My only concern is how many points will they be able to put out on a consistent basis in a conference where, you know, that is going to be, you know. Offense will be king next year. Uh, so I, I like them as an eight and four ball club. Uh, you know, will they run the table in, in 11 and one, you know, or, or have one loss like they did last year? I don't see that happening. Uh, but I do, you know, I think they'll struggle to find their footing offensively early on. And I think that's where you'll see this more of a sluggish start from them, uh, which isn't too good because they're going to be looking, they're going to be <laughs> playing Kent State uh, at Kent State. And we know how good their offense is going to be. Uh, so, Eight and four, seven and five is where I have Buffalo finishing this year. Let's go on uh, to the next team here, and that'd be Virginia Tech, uh, five and six last year, forty fifth ranked recruiting class, tenth in the ACC. Ten transfers out, six transfers in, including former uh, four star defensive tackle uh, from Clemson, Jordan Williams. They have no returning all ACC players, which I was a little surprised to see but that is because they have a ton of talent going off to the NFL offensive tackle, Christian Derisaw, uh, cornerback, Caleb Fairley, safety divine D, uh, Diablo running back, Lil Herbert defensive end, justice Reed and linebacker Rayshard Ashby all uh, off to the NFL Nick. So what do we think about Virginia tech going into 2021? I am. I don't think uh, alone in this, but I'm, I'm a bit worried about, Virginia Tech and and sort of the way that they have been structured uh, the last couple of years. Virginia Tech is is a team that our model has given a lot of respect, probably in in some cases too much respect. Similar things that that I just said about Miami, about you know having the talent each week and and uh, could you know double digit wins favored in double digit games. I, I feel like I said those things each of the last two years about Virginia Tech and they've not come anywhere close to meeting those, you know, meeting that type of potential. And you know, now the roster numbers aren't looking nearly as good. You mentioned all the uh, personnel leaving, not only are they losing, you know, big time guys, big time playmakers, uh, like running back Khalil Herbert, you know, first round offensive lineman, Christian Derisaw, uh, they're losing uh, some really, really productive pieces defensively. Last year, Caleb Varley opted out prior to the season, but he's, you know, uh, in that first round mix and a, a lot of the discussion I've seen. So uh, they are a team that, uh, is losing a lot of the, you know, the core, it seems, that was part of those lofty preseason ratings, the way our, our numbers are calculated. And then add to that, they've continually lost players to the transfer portal. They've had, you know, uh, each of the last 
basically the the entire Justin Fuente era, it seemed, having half a dozen to to double digit players entering the transfer portal, and and not just guys who didn't get on the field. Starting quarterback Hendon Hooker is is gone off to Tennessee. He was second leading rusher, led the team in rushing touchdowns. Of course, was you know the leading passer as well. And that's a big loss. I mean, he, he was not a superstar by any stretch, but he was a productive player and, and an experienced player. And is Braxton Burmeister, you know, Braxton Burmeister is, is now the favorite to, to take over that job hands down. But it's not necessarily, in, in my eyes, at least an upgrade in, in any stretch. I mean, he didn't beat out Hinden Hooker last year for that job. So uh, beyond that, they've had a ton of, talented players on the offensive line in addition to Darasaw leaving they had two uh former starters on on the right side of that offensive line Brian Hudson and Doug Nestor enter the transfer portal they're off to other power five programs so those are guys who got freshman all-american uh recognition you know prior or excuse me after the 2019 season and then one year later are are off somewhere else as i was updating Virginia Tech's uh, team profile and and was going through the recruiting class, adding those players to the mix. They brought in four running backs in in the most recent class. And then even though they lost Khalil Herbert, they're bringing back, I think, six scholarship running backs, added a transfer from UMass, so another FBS opponent or FBS program. So they've got double-digit running backs on scholarship, it looks like. And then going through the offensive line, they they have 10 players listed on our team depth chart. We sometimes have, you know, 15, 17, maybe even 20 offensive linemen for, for most teams. And Virginia Tech now through losing guys to the NFL draft and, and you know, guys to the transfer portal, people who played a lot of, of snaps on that offensive line, according to my math, unless I miss something, Virginia Tech has more scholarship running backs on its roster right now than it does offensive linemen. That to me is is a problem. So are they going to, you know, be able to to pull other players out of the transfer portal? They did find some success with Brock Hoffman, who emerged as a starter and a, a really solid center uh, after transferring from Coastal Carolina. Are they going to be able to to you know hit on a guy like Johnny Jordan, who has been a, a starter in the past, came from Maryland? Where he, uh, you know, has played 600 snaps thereabouts, 700 snaps over the last two seasons. You know, is is that a a guy who they can just plug and play uh, into that offensive line? But you know, if so, where's the depth coming from? Because right now, you know, nobody outside of our projected starting five, which they do have three returning starters, uh, but but you know. Five guys now on the roster who played over 200 snaps last year. Nobody else on that offensive line uh, played a snap last season, and only one of those guys has any career playing time. Uh, that's uh, Jesse Hansen played five snaps in, in 2019 in one game. So I'm, I'm concerned for Virginia Tech, one, because they're losing so much, because they've been disappointing in the past compared to uh, what our numbers – expected and then also just math wise things are not looking great uh, as far as the way as the 
the roster is constructed. You can only play so many running backs at a time, and there's no way that, that 10 of them are going to get on the field where, you know, offensive linemen, there probably could be 10 guys that, that you would need to play uh, over the course of the season on, on the offensive line. So I'm, I'm worried about that. I, I do think that they've got some very talented players uh, here and there. I, I like Raheem Blackshear. Uh, doesn't look like he's going to be the the hands down starter at, at running back. Jalen Holston's going to be in the mix, but you know Blackshear is somebody who can help uh, as a receiver out of the backfield. You can do some interesting things with him. Trey Turner is somebody who I think is very talented as a receiver. Has had some success in the past. He's he's going to be pretty close to a 100 rated player this year. Uh, they've got a lot of experience coming back in that receiving core. Jaden Payette, hopefully he's fully healthy come fall, and and he's one of the uh, most talented players as far as their high school rating comes. And so, you know, if you can finally get some production from him, from snaps, some snaps from him, then Burmeister does have some weapons to work with. On defense, you know, the linebacker core is solid. Amari Br- uh, Barno put up huge, huge production numbers last year as a pass rusher. Uh, their linebacking core is going to be one of the best probably in college football ranks top 10 in our numbers early on. But, you know, I, I just, they, they've lost so much and there are so many little things on the, the fringe of uh, this Virginia tech program. Just, just some things that don't quite feel right that I'm not sure that this is a team that's going to, you know, uh, be a top 30 type team on the field. They certainly weren't last year. They ranked uh, what, 42nd in overall team performance. They actually ranked 15th on offense and 86th defensively, which was a big, big disappointment because those defensive talent numbers looked really, really good last year. So I've been disappointed in Virginia Tech. I, I'd had some pretty high hopes for them each of the last two years, and they they certainly disappointed me. I'm running out of patience, and, and now our numbers are, are not quite uh, giving the, the, you know, the hope and the respect for Virginia tech as they were the last couple of years. So this is a, a, a very important year for Fuente and, and his job, you know, long-term. And I don't have a whole lot of reason to be optimistic uh, that he's going to be able to, to win enough to, you know, to, to maybe even keep his job. The, the schedule does set up pretty well, but I, I just don't have a, a ton of, faith that they're going to be able to take care of business and, and win those close games, those games that we might have them projected as a, a slight favorite or a slight underdog. I just, I don't have a lot of trust in this Virginia tech team. Uh, Xavier, what, what do you think of Vought tech this year? Uh, you know, Nick just said he doesn't have a lot of faith. There's a lot of question marks going in here and they're losing a ton of talent. So uh, it all adds up to a pretty concerning uh, outlook on 2021, right? Yeah, there's there's way too many question marks in, in too many positions for me for uh, for me to be excited about Virginia Tech next year. Uh, Nick hit it right on the head. The amount of talent that they've lost on this team, I think, in not just the amount of talent, but in such key areas uh, on this team, are going to be really really tough to replace. And as of right now, we don't even have an answer of what the replacements are going to even look like or, or, or be. For that matter, and so that's a really big concern for me. You know, that their offensive line is going to be haphazardly put together all year. Their starting right tackle might end up being a redshirt freshman. You, I mean, there's there's a lot of issues that I see on this team with with youth, especially where I'm just like, I don't know whether or not 
that position is actually going to be filled or is going to be a revolving door. You know, the, the, the hole left by Rayshard Ashby, who's going to fill that? Uh, that, that, that this is a guy who was a triple-digit uh, triple digit tackler in 2019. Are they going to be able to fill that hole? Caleb Fairley, that, that is a massive hole in the secondary. Uh, and, yes, you have a senior late in secondary where, you know, out of your three corners, two of them are going to be seniors this year in uh, your best one in Jermaine Waller. But is he going to be able to step up and be the, the, the lockdown corner that Caleb Fairley was for you over the over his uh, career at Virginia Tech? Even the quarterback position for me, uh, which I think last year, and, I, and you can uh, you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that the quarterback position even last year was somewhat of a revolving door uh, last year and that they couldn't settle on one particular guy week in and week out. I couldn't remember if they did or did not. Uh, but but that, for me, is a major concern going into this year because of the fact that they have so many seniors at quarterback, yet they have yet to find the guy for me. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really concerned about this Virginia Tech team. I think this is a team that will lean on their defense, being that is the most uh, talented side of the ball, in my opinion. However, I just don't see – that. there's no way, in my opinion, that I see them putting together an offense that can compete in the ACC this year. Uh, their schedule – who got them North Carolina week one? I don't know. That person needs to reevaluate their job title. That's tough. Uh, you know, you know, then you, you know, it's not easy going to Middle Tennessee. We, we talked about how bad, bad Middle Tennessee is. So that's a that's a that's a definite boost there. Going to West Virginia, we talked about how West Virginia could be better this year. That's gonna be a scary one for them. You know, and right off of their bye week, guess what? They get Notre Dame. So I, I just don't see, you know, where they're able to kind of find their footing this year, you know, um, even with teams that aren't necessarily always you know, that great of a ball club. Sometimes you find your footing and you can pick up a couple of wins in a row that, you know, can lead to a better overall record. I don't see that happening for them this year. Uh, I, I'm, I think they'll be somewhere in the middle of the conference. I don't know if they'll be in the basement, but I think they'll be somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think this is a, a, a six-win ball club, uh, seven wins at best. Uh, there's a lot of toss-ups in the second half of their schedule that I think that they can pull out. Uh, but I also would not be surprised if this team finishes 4-8. and eight. I'll be perfectly honest. Um, so, but I'm more comfortable saying five, uh, six and six, seven and five for this ball club if they can figure out uh, their offensive woes, especially on that offensive line. Uh, gosh, I mean, you know, Nick, I didn't even know the stat of them having more scholarship running backs than they do offensive linemen, but that's never a good thing, uh, you know, for people who don't necessarily know. So I, I'm, I'm concerned in that regard. I think the defense will be good. I just don't think that they'll be as good as they were last year uh, with the talent that they've lost. And, and I don't think that they'll be able to find any consistent footing throughout their schedule. Yeah, you start one running back, maybe two if you got a fullback in there, and five offensive linemen. So never a good spot to be in to have more running backs than O-linemen. Uh, but the last squad here, App State, Nick, 9-3 and three last year, 72nd recruiting class, second in the Sun Belt. Uh, three transfers out, four transfers in. They do return some talent here. Running back Cameron Peoples, right guard Bear Hunter, right tackle Cooper Hodges, defensive end Demetrius Taylor, linebacker DeMarco Jackson, and cornerback Sean Jolly were all all Sunbelt Conference players last season, and they're coming back. They do lose NFL talent, and cornerback Shamar John Charles is going into the draft. They get a new uh, offensive coordinator here, Frank Pont, uh, Ponce. He was the Louisville passing game coordinator and quarterback coach last season. What do we think about App State going into 2021, Nick? I'm a little torn on Appalachian State because uh, on the one hand, they were a little bit disappointing last season where you know we, we expected early on that they were going to be far and away 
the best team in the Sun Belt. I, I think I think most people, maybe if they don't pay super super close attention, just kind of assumed that going into last year, thought it was going to be kind of a foregone conclusion that it's going to be App State and Louisiana in the uh, championship game again, and it it didn't necessarily start. You know, the season kind of started a little bit rocky. The game against Charlotte was closer than most people would have expected. And, and then the loss against Marshall, you know, we, we know that Marshall was a good team last year, but uh, to only put up seven points and, and to lose that game sort of in the way that they did kind of gave it away or not gave it away, but, but fumbled away a, a scoring opportunity toward the very end of the game, just couldn't really get going offensively. That came as a, a bit of a surprise. So, it was the first year for uh, you know head coach uh, Sean Clark, and and there are some growing you know pains sometimes with the first time first year head coach, even though he was promoted from within. Uh, but you know things settled down, and and they did lose to Coastal Carolina, and and you know had a, a, a close loss to Louisiana at the end. Not a you know not not something that is. Uh, unforgivable by any stretch, but finished strong with a, a really impressive uh, performance against North Texas, took care of business. They were a heavy, heavy favorite in that game and uh, were, you know, just, just ran the ball at will. We're, we're absolutely uh, unstoppable offensively in that game. So it was a good, good part to end on. And they are bringing back some very key, components as Scott you mentioned Cameron Peoples could be you know uh, maybe maybe the early favorite to be the leading rusher in the Sun Belt a guy that shared those duties with two or three other players last year still went for over a thousand yards and and I think is going to get a much heavier workload this year as a junior is probably going to be uh, one of the better players certainly one of the more productive players in the Sun Belt and then you know two of those Offensive line starters are, are coming back, but they're two of the better players in the conference. So, you know, I, I think, and Clark being an offensive line coach, put together a unit that ranked in the top 10 in our offensive line performance ratings last year, even though it will be a little bit less experience. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. I think they're going to be able to, to you know, match up well up front. Uh, you know, I think they'll be fine. I'm concerned that uh, – they will have a new quarterback. Zach Thomas, you know, wasn't always the flashiest guy, but a credible experience. Started almost 40 games in his career there. Did some good things. Was, you know, uh, a valuable runner at times. Uh, made improvements as a passer over the course of his career. And they are, are calling on an experienced Power 5 transfer, but Chase Bryce, who spent one year at Duke after, you know, a few years as the backup, and Clemson prior to that was responsible for more turnovers than anybody in college football last year. And, you know, Duke's turnover numbers were just, I mean, it looked like a, a you know, a glitch basically just the, how far uh, they were away from the next closest team. And Chase Bryce was responsible for a lot of those. And, and, you know, he did show some real promise at Clemson and, and he was kind of the guy that David Cutcliffe, who was a, uh, you know, long respected quarterback coach, seemingly handpicked to be his guy at Duke last year. And, and it was a pretty quick turnaround for, for him to then leave and, and go to Appalachian state. It seems almost like he'll be handed that 
job again. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there will be a you know competition. I'm sure that that he will have to go out and win it on the practice field. But uh, doesn't really seem like there's somebody you know left over. Jackson Gibbs, Navy Schuler, uh, who is you know even a true freshman they've got coming in. Uh, DC Tabscott. I'm, I'm not real confident that one of those guys is, is going to be able to beat out a you know former P5 starting quarterback, a guy who's been on a college football uh, roster for for four or five years. So, you know, I, I'm a little nervous at that changeover. I, I, I heard some whispers that you know maybe Bryce wasn't. Uh, really beloved in in the Duke locker room have to wonder how that's going to translate to yet another new program. So I I do have some concerns there. I, I, I do uh, kind of wonder how much of, of the success that Appalachian state did have and, and, you know, winning nine games is, is even though maybe, uh, you know, we expected a a conference championship and, and double digit wins, that's nothing to, to sneeze at, but I'm a little bit, concern what of what of that was uh just sort of a well-oiled machine uh, as much as Appalachian State had been the previous four or five years is that something that that Clark is going to be able to sustain long term maintain long term so I, I I just I don't know they're also one of those teams that's a young FBS program our numbers are a little funny in the way that they you know, look at, at those talent numbers. They've been a triple-digit recruiter most of, of uh, the last six years into the 80s and 70s most recently. But, you know, a lot of the older players on the roster are guys who came out of high school with, you know, ratings in the 70s and, and things like that. And so unless they are experienced and, and productive, and some of them certainly are. Demetrius Taylor is a 100-rated player. Uh, DeMarco Jackson is over a 90 at linebacker. Sean Jolly, we talked about as a potential All-American in the preseason last year is is uh, closing in on a 100 rating. So, you know, they, they do have those guys, but the depth numbers are, are not there as far as our talent projections go. So I just, I have, you know, some concern. Is this a roster that is as good as we, you know, thought it was a couple of years ago? Uh, are they still at that same level? And, and you know, until we see it, I... I I'm, I'm just a little bit nervous. One good thing, Corey Sutton, who opted out, was injured last year at wide receiver. He's back. Thomas Hennigan, very experienced. They do have a lot of, of weapons in the receiving core. Jalen Virgil, very athletic, was on uh, uh, Bruce Feldman's freaks list last year. So, you know, they if Bryce can come in and, and take control of that job and play up to his potential, does have a lot of uh, playmakers to work with, and, and I do expect the defense will be good again. It was a top 15 unit last year in our team performance rankings, but I just I just feel a little more uneasy about App State coming into this year than I did in previous years. And, and though I know Xavier said that a lot of he expects a lot of Sun Belt teams to take a little bit of a step back, I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I think that you know Coastal Carolina is going to be just as tough. I think Louisiana is going to be just as tough. It, it's going to be a difficult road, and then some of the other teams uh, are on the rise, like a Georgia State that that I do agree with. That, that you know you've mentioned is is a team that can close that gap. Troy, I think, is going to be very dangerous. So I, I'm worried a little bit that Appalachian State is is going to be able to uh, get you know stack wins upon wins against difficult opponents week after week just sort of the way things are trending. And and 
it's certainly not a doomsday scenario. Clark could be, you know, great. Everything could be fine. I could be overthinking it, but I just, I do have a little bit more concern than I'm used to having about an Appalachian state team. Xavier, what are your thoughts on app state for this year? do you have uh, concerns like Nick, or do you think they're going to be pretty solid again? I think it comes down, and I think Nick alluded to it when he first started talking, I think it does come down a little bit to the quarterback position. I mean, when you've had such a, a stable force there for so long. I mean, I, I think people don't really realize that their quarterback that was there was there for four years as a starter. You know, and he, he, uh, when you have that kind of a stabling force there, it's going to look a little weird this year when, you know, Chase Bryce is, is given the is given the reins if he, if he obviously wins the job uh, going into fall. But I think that's a little bit of a concern for me. Obviously, I think that might be a revolving door. Nick hit right on the head. Chase Bryce didn't look good at Duke whatsoever. And I'm not sure if that's going to change at the G5 level. Uh, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're not a conference schedule. It's not easy. They go to Miami. They play Marshall again. Uh, Elon is going to be – is going to be the one guaranteed win out of that. And, and you know, to, to, to Nick's point, yes, I do think some of the top teams will come down, but I think a lot of the middle teams are going to come up. And I think that's what I, I, I you know, he, he kind of hit that on the head. I, I think games like at Georgia State are going to be tougher than it may be in the past. Um, you know, I think um, Troy, which they also have to play on the road, is going to be tougher. So Georgia Southern is going to be a tougher game. So where I, where I do think some of the top teams take a step back, I think the middle teams take a step up, and that's going to make this a very difficult, difficult year. Uh, for them. I, I think overall, though, I'm confident that App State can get back to what we are used to from App State. I think this is a nine to 10 win ball club. Uh, I think out of the outside of the loss to Miami to start the year off, uh, or well, the possible loss, excuse me, to Miami uh, outside of that, I think this is a team that can run the table. Uh, I think this is a team that I'm comfortable saying can do that. If Chase Bryce, uh, plays up to the ability in which his ranking suggested when he came out of high school. Because uh, outside of the Coastal, you know, yes, they get Louisiana and Coastal back-to-back, -back, which is going to be very, very tough. I think they can beat Louisiana this year. Um, like I said, I think Louisiana takes a step back with the lack of talent, with the talent that's leaving from out of their backfield. Um, and they get a bye week going into that game. So, you know, outside of maybe, you know, outside of any upsets that happen, maybe the game at Georgia State, maybe Georgia Southern to end the year. I think this is a team that as long as Chase Bryce finds his footing, can uh, run the table and, and compete for a conference championship again uh, in the in the Sun Belt. Uh, I think this is you know this is a very talented team. I think once again though this it, it really does infringe. I know I'm I'm kind of beating over the head. It really does lean on whether or not Chase Bryce can come to play this year and whether his you know that year at Duke was just a fluke uh, for how poor it was for him because other everywhere else I'm pretty pretty you know dang confident that they have not just a guy but multiple guys at, at every other position that can compete and that will be you know. Uh, that are uh, consistent performers and have been, you know, their defense is pretty much out of, you know, out of the, the top players on their defense, pretty much all of them are seniors or juniors. So they're not going to be coming in this with youth, uh, even on their offensive line, same situation goes for them. And at the receiving court, same situation. So this, you know, this team is really coming back for another chance at a conference championship, which they probably feel like they were, you know, a couple of plays away last year from possibly doing that. Uh, so I, I think that, they come back this year, get to a conference championship, in my opinion. Uh, and, you know, that, you know, as long as Chase Price plays well. So that's my thing. That's my ideas as far as App State in 2021. All right. Well, that covers it. That's all the teams for this show uh, doing 30 to 21. So for the next show, uh, I'm excited for it. It's going to be 20 to 11. We get Texas we in here. Why. We get Arizona State in here. We get uh, some other 
uh, really, really good squads, Penn State, North Carolina, Iowa, Washington, uh, USC, some really, really good ones. So that one is going to be a lot of fun. But remember, you can find us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFB Winning Edge for Nick, and at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. And we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you to our Patreon supporters for keeping our show ad-free and for funding our wide range of college football analytics projects. Thanks also to Blake Austin for our theme music. To learn more about CFB Winning Edge, visit patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge or follow us on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge.